Hello there, and welcome to episode five of Battle of the Pilots. I am Graham Raddings, and I am joined by my good friend and sinewy shadow mask admirer, Adrian Mills. <laughs> in this podcast... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in this podcast, we reach into the extensive back catalogue of TV shows from over the last 50 years and pluck out a couple of pilot episodes for a head-to-head battle. To ensure we can crown a champion, we take an ambitious, waggish, and peppery look at both chosen TV show pilot episodes, discussing their relative merits or demerits, and scoring them out of 10 for selected key themes and or categories, such as story, characters, costumes, music, visual, and influence, to eventually settle on an overall score. In the end, one pilot show will emerge as Maggie, Brain's main squeeze in her revealing evening dress, while the other will look more like Cabby, a gap-toothed taxi driver in a dirty yellow cap. Uh. <laughs> For this fifth episode, we have chosen two highly popular, somewhat stolen, helicopter-based action shows. Yes, that's right. This week, the front-mounted M230 chain gun of Blue Thunder goes rotor blade to tail rotor with the dangerous retractable rocket launchers of Airwolf. Let battle commence. Indeed it does. Indeed it does. Airwolf versus Blue Thunder. It's an interesting pairing. It? <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, you know, it had to be done. We've been putting it off. We could have called this Battle of the Choppers, but we don't want to call it that because put that on a podcast and put that in Google, bad things are going to happen out there. Bad things. You're going to get, you may get things, See, you may see things, things you can't unsee. Yeah. And people come along expecting something else and be... Highly disappointed, probably. <laughs> this is that's not what we're discussing. Absolutely. So, as is the normal way we do this, we have chosen a series of categories for this particular battle of the pilots. We've chosen story, characters, vehicle, and stunts, music and sound effects, cinematography, and reception slash influence. Those are our categories. We're gonna go through these TV shows and see how they handle it and how they compare with each other. They were very closely related in some ways, these things. And just to that end, actually, I'll leave it to you, Adrian, to just give us a little bit of the TLDR of what the hell these shows are even about for those people that don't know what the hell we're talking about, and there might be some. There, there could very well be some. For the people who are listening, uh, Airwolf and Blue Thunder, these are the synopses written by that ever stalwart and citable um, website, Wikipedia. <laughs> Airwolf is an American action military drama television series. Action military drama. Can't wait to sell it. <laughs> that goes somewhere. It's like, anything else? Uh, it centers on a high-technology attack helicopter codenamed Airwolf and its crew. They undertake mm. various exotic missions, many involving espionage with a Cold War theme. It was created by Donald P. Belisario and was produced over four seasons running from January 22nd, 1984 until August 7th, 1987. The series ran for 55 episodes on CBS in the United States in 1984 through 1986, and there are an additional 24 episodes with a new mm. cast and production company <laughs> aired on the USA <laughs> Network in 1987 for a total of 79 episodes. Ooh. Yes. So it got cancelled, basically, and then someone else went, we'll keep making it with completely different people and all the footage <laughs> you filmed for the first load of episodes. <laughs> for half the money. Sold. That's what happened. <laughs> Blue Thunder, on the other hand. Well, Blue Thunder started off as a film. And it was originally a 1983 American action thriller from Columbia Pictures, produced by Gordon Carroll, Phil Fellman, and Andrew Fogelson, and was directed by John Badham. It starred Roy Scheider, Warren Mm -hmm. Oates, 
and uh, Daniel Stern, I think, who mm. is who you may know from is one of the baddies from uh, Home Alone. Ah, uh, of course, yeah, that's right. He's, he's one of the. He's not. He's the other one. He's not Joe Pesci. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the, he's the other one. <laughs> it's the other one, um, and it also starred Malcolm McDowell as well. It did indeed. Famously, Malcolm McDowell hated flying, and he signed up. Originally, this was supposed to the film was supposed to star Brian Brown um, ah. in the in the baddies role, but it actually he couldn't take it because he was filming something else. So it went. Michael, Malcolm McDowell uh, accepted it and said yes, but didn't realize it was a film about flying helicopters, and he hates flying and won't get in a, won't get in an airplane or anything. It's like BA. It's like a living BA <laughs> Baracus. He's <laughs> like, well, fool. Why was I signed up for? A, why was I signed up for a film on an airplane helicopter? Okay, well, he's quite a well. Englishman, isn't he? He's a big, I'm not getting into that helicopter. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but but again, and he did, and he did actually film it. He did. But supposedly those Method. grimaces on his face towards the end when he's actually up in the helicopter, they're real. <laughs> he's like, That's for reals, yeah. Yeah, I don't like it. Roy Scheider also accepted the part as well because he didn't want to be cast in Jaws 3. He wanted to be filming something else so that they couldn't come get him. <laughs> he wanted to be in a helicopter in the sky away from the sea. You're far away <laughs> from the shit that is uh, Jaws 3. Anyway, there yeah. you go. That's the film. The TV show, the Blue Thunder TV show, is an American action drama television series based on the movie of the same title. Based on? Mm. <laughs> really? It's, it's about as much based on as the video game we looked at recently. It uh, <laughs> aired on ABC from January 6th until April 16th, 1984, featuring the Blue Thunder helicopter. Well, that's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a thing at all, it's no. a, It was a thing that was made... For a film, it's not real. Yeah, yeah um, this was actually a mid-season replacement. Ooh, um, Eleven episodes were made before the series was cancelled by ABC due to low ratings, um, mm. and that it. And this was it was on a hiding to nothing. It was put up against Dallas. Yeah, that isn't a good thing to do. <laughs> it's not. Not not when it, I mean, it would have to be stellar entertainment to be up against the powerhouse of Dallas back then. Yeah, and as we've probably come to see, Blue Thunder. It's not something I would uh, describe as a powerhouse of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah. Nobody was tuning out of Dallas to watch that. Turn Dallas off. Bloody Blue Thunder Zone, what are you doing? <laughs> Blue Thunder Zone with that catchy theme tune. Now, here's a question I had for you, actually, just as a, just while you're on this subject. what Do you yeah. know what channels they were on in the UK, both of them? Because I think Airwolf was ITV, wasn't it, I think? I believe Airwolf was ITV. I think, I've got a feeling Blue Thunder was BBC. Uh, I feel, but I, but I could be wrong. I it could have been cheap, wrong. so it's the BBC. <laughs> it probably was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it feels like the uh, Blake 7 and Space 1999 episode all over again, <laughs> if I'm perfectly honest. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> anyway, the first episode of Blue Thunder is called Second Thunder. Stupid. Oh <laughs> new originals. It's where the new originals. And then we saw that, that was uh, called Blue Thunder. And we thought, should we call ourselves Blue Thunder 2? No, just Second Thunder. Second oh, Thunder. So, and, and we have to sort of state, I mean, you, we'll, we'll come to it anyway. We'll come to it when we go through the story. And I'm sure you'll mention possibly the end of the film. <laughs> yes, Maybe. yes, of course. Um, yeah, I mentioned, I will be mentioning some of that. And also some of the few of the trinkets and tippets. And by the way, Second Thunder could also be what's, what would I would describe as the second wave of farting you used to do in my bedroom. <laughs> so you'd have the first first thunder and then there'd be second thunder, without a doubt. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Or it sounds like a, the uh, sort of the person they couldn't get for like uh, Rocky Three. Um, <laughs> just want to clarify, by the way, on that statement, he did this when we were teenagers. He doesn't come into my bedroom now and just, <laughs> just fart in the middle of the day or anything. That'd be, that would be a bit weird for everybody. But- 
that he knows of. That he <laughs> he knows know, of. Yeah. Oh, does he? Yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> always strange smells about the house. I could be lurking anywhere. It's it's <laughs> very possible. Very possible. Now, just as a final question before we dive into the, all of these various categories, did you have a lot of TV experience with these in your youthful youth? Weirdly, I think I, I think I watched more Blue Thunder than Airwolf. Um, That's interesting. I think I, I seem to remember Blue Thunder more than I do Airwolf. I know the theme of the theme tune of Airwolf. Everyone knows the theme tune of Airwolf. Yeah. But I, I don't remember watching it that often. Either it might have been on at a time when I wasn't in. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been just my brother was watching Blue Thunder because I know he liked the film. So I think he wanted to watch it because of that. But my, my overriding memory is that we watched more of Blue Thunder. Not that there's only 11 episodes or 13 episodes, wherever there is, but... Yeah, true. Um, I seem to remember watching more of that. I don't seem to remember being in tune much with Airwolf. I don't know. What about you? So I actually am the other way around. I think I watched more Airwolf than Blue Thunder. But I think that's because I don't remember coming across Blue Thunder on anything. Um, whereas Airwolf, you couldn't really miss it because I think it was primetime ITV at a certain point. I think it's Saturday, might have been Saturday evening ITV actually, but I could be wrong. Could very well have been. But I, but I do remember seeing much more of Airwolf. But I think I'm wondering if it's, and we'll probably explore this anyway in a minute, but I wonder if it's just because there's, Things resonate more from some of these shows than others, and there's some things that you know, like you said, the music is one thing I remember more. Maybe it's just it, maybe it's more triggering of things. So anyway, we'll yeah. see. We'll see how we go. So if, if I'm perfectly honest, it wasn't like oh, I remember watching Night Rider. I remember watching A Team. I think it's it's like vague memories of at some point. I think I watched both of them, but yeah, I think yeah. And I'm, but I'm not sure if I'm confusing my time with Blue Thunder with the film than with the show. Yeah. I don't know. It's a bit of a hazy mess back then. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think what we'll now do is let's take it. Let's uh, start with our um, our journey into these then, because we've established that we both experienced them. They weren't heavily syndicated shows in the UK. So I don't think there's been a lot of reruns, certainly of Blue Thunder. Airwolves maybe appeared on a few of the channels, but obviously in the US, these things, once they enter circulation, they're often on all sorts of their channels. So they've probably mm. seen a lot more of it in terms of its repeatedness than we have. But let's take a moment now to dive in, shall we? We'll explore our first category. And our first category is the story and characters of each of these. And this begins with you, Adrian, and your dive into the stories of Airwolf. Let me tell you, Graham, of the story of a man, a morose (laughs) man. He's a miserable shitbag, isn't he? <laughs> well, he's got reasons. A man called Stringfellow Hawk, played by Jan Michel Vincent. Yamiel Vincent. <laughs> As Redford Yamiel. was having Redford, Redford uh, A man called Stringfellow Hawk. For that is also the story of Airwolf. More accurately, though, True. our story starts in the canyons of California, um, where a new <laughs> helicopter called Airwolf is being demonstrated to a senator who's more bothered about the lack of cream cheese than the state of the art combat vehicle he's here to see. And then when he does get cream so cheese, it's like, it's, it's pink. And she's like, it's salmon. Like, God, this is weird. Who wrote this script? <laughs> Somebody who really likes cream cheese and bagels. Salmon, I think. salmon cream cheese. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, head of the project and the firm, a shadowy corporation, which I think is affiliated to the CIA in some, some way. <laughs> It's never really explained. It's just the firm. <laughs> anyway, head of the project in the firm, Archangel, played by Alex Cord, wearer of nothing but white suits, berates mm. him and tells him this is no normal helicopter. This is Airwolf. God damn it. Anyway, after showing off what it can do by flying around and blowing some stuff up, which it does, it returns <laughs> to base. And it turns out the creator of Airwolf, one Professor Moffat, played by David Hemmings, has a bit of a beef. 
It's got a bit of a beef with the senator yeah, over Project Proteus, which was cancelled in the 70s. I don't know what Project <laughs> Proteus was. It's never alluded to, but it's certainly enough to have rankled Professor Moffat. Isn't that the name of the uh, talking computer in uh, Demon Seed? That's called Proteus. Maybe it, it is called that. Proteus, yeah. You came in and you busted <laughs> up my computer. I was using that to terrorise a woman, which would go a long way to explaining a lot of this episode. But, you know, we go, hang on, come to that. He's got so much of a beef that he blows the hell out of everything, killing the senator and making off with Airwolf to Libya for reasons. I don't know. Reasons. He just bu- he just buggers off to Libya. But there's a re- there's confusion about this because then it says it comes it sort of face of black. We think the senator's dead. He's actually not. He's just injured. Actually, no. The senator is dead, and Archangel is injured. That's <laughs> how so he gets his limp. I think. Yes. Three months later, Stringfellow Hawk is playing a cello on a jetty on a lake with his dog, whilst an eagle flies overhead. <laughs> when I woke up today, I never thought I'd be saying that sentence, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's reveries broken by Archangel turning up in another cool white suit, accompanied by Gabrielle Adamur, who's played by Belinda Bauer, who is there for reasons. There's a lot of people, there's mm. a lot of this goes along, things are just happening for reasons that I'm not quite sure of. <laughs> so also true. as well, he's, he's annoyed as well because the, when they turn up sort of thing, they nearly kill the eagle, <laughs> which is, you know, <laughs> uh, which is uh, ironic. Uh, entering his cabin, we find that this body warmer wearing lumberjack shirted man knows his wine <laughs> and has priceless art adorning his walls. <laughs> How? Because his grandfather put it there, supposedly, which we find out a bit later. But this is like the originals. These are things that be worth millions, or they're stolen. <laughs> like, what's going on? Why? Anyway, Why? Uh, who knows? <laughs> uh, who knows? <laughs> anyway, he's offered the job by Archangel and Gabrielle of recovering Airwolf for a cool million dollars. Take the money and run. She tells him that the, the Airwolf was stolen five weeks prior, but this is three months later. Error, so error. I can only assume that Moffat just sat around in the desert for seven weeks after blowing up the senator. <laughs> Should we go somewhere? I've got to wait for a call from Libya. Then we can go there. What's he doing? Just doing stuff in the desert. Yeah, just flying around, doing stuff, you know. Just, you know, having adventures. The, the unseen airwolf yeah. adventures of those seven weeks. Exactly. I sense a spin-off. The Moffat years. <laughs> anyway, over the next few days, Gabrielle wears a combo of dinner dresses and very little. Yeah. I don't understand. I do not understand what's going on here. <laughs> she gets out the, uh, the she flies the ha- helicopter in. She's wearing a jumpsuit, an all white jumpsuit, because obviously Archangel got it for her. That's the uniform. He has no color apart from white. And then the next thing you see is she's in an all white dinner dress. And also she as is. well at this bit, she's getting a dress like, took, looked up by the dog. Who, it's really weird, that bit. Who, she sort of claims that Stringfellow Hawk has trained the dog to do this. What is going on? <laughs> It's very odd. Anyway, Archangel, though, has changed into a white jumper and jeans combo. Very swish. Mm. Stringfellow looks more morose and miserable, but he starts to fall for her. And we find out that Hawk's parents died when he was younger, and his brother was lost in Vietnam, and the love of his life also died in a car crash earlier. So he's just, like, buggered off to a remote cabin because he don't want to know anyone anymore. Yeah, yeah. His own private art gallery. Yeah. <laughs> and, and wine repository, which is just bought by Ernest Borgnine, as we'll find out later. He just gives him this cheap wine. 78, mate. I don't know. Meanwhile, off on a Hollywood backlot, we're introduced to Dominic Santini. Yay. Paid by Ernest Borgnine, where he and Hawk earn money, earn money flying helicopters for films. Okay. That's what they do. Legit That's how they get that. the cash. You, well, you've, got to earn, you've got to earn the money to buy those paintings somehow, haven't you? <laughs> And his cello strings ain't going to pay for themselves, are they? <laughs> That's true, and they snap regularly, <laughs> especially playing them out by a lake. All that moisture, not good for him. Off in Libya, no. we see Moffat hanging around a pool and shooting objects out of a young man's hand. <laughs> him and that gun. <laughs> Before he's asked to blow up some French fighter planes with Airwolf. 
which he goes off and does. He goes, all right. Uh, Proclaiming another victory, as he says, for Gaddafi's revolutionary forces in Chad. (laughs) It's a lot of Gaddafi hating, isn't (laughs) it? It's like, what is that? Why are they in Chad? (laughs) I thought we were in uh, Libya. What do I know? Back in the States, Hawk and Santini discuss the job, and then Hawk discusses it with Gabrielle. There's a lot of discussion goes on in this, uh, like, the first hour of this. There's so much talking. There's so much. Mumbly discussion. Just talking (laughs) in the cabin. About stuff. Yeah, cryptic shit, yeah. We're then back in Libya, where it transpires that all female spies have to take a job as go-go dancers in the only bar there. (laughs) That's what happens. You're a spy. There's only one role for you. Go shake your stuff (laughs) in that bar, where it's clear you're a spy. They must have just gone through them, thousands of them. Moffat and his military supervisor, Major Mufta Ben Kamal, played by Frank Ness, discuss women. And it's a bit grim and misogynistic, if I'm perfectly honest. Very. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Back in the States, Hawk and Gabrielle go fishing. Seriously, just take the job and get this bloody episode started. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) God's sake, go rest. When when do we get into the fireworks factory? (laughs) It's the second time earlier on he he just picks up a fishing rod, doesn't he? He goes, I'm going to have to get another fish now. Yeah, there's two. I didn't. I didn't think it was two. I'm gonna to have to go get another bass or something. Yeah, yeah. It just goes like, off and gets another fish. It's like for God's sake. Yeah, but over in Libya, Moffat blows up a U.S. Navy destroyer for reasons. I think he just takes America. I don't know yeah, because he, he was he was just buzzing a boat and then just goes, oh, there's a destroyer. Yeah. <laughs> Death to you. Meanwhile, yeah. Hawk has more cello to play on his jetty for Gabrielle and his dog. <laughs> For God's sake. Before Santini turns up with some food. This is the most boring (laughs) stuff. You promised me Airwolf, helicopter bombing, and, you know, cool helicopter. Obviously, we've seen the Libya stuff, but, oh, Lord. We've seen a a miserable man cook a fish. (laughs) And we're 55 (laughs) minutes into the show at this point. Unbelievable. Santini and Hawk agree to take the job and head back to his house. They go on a quick flight. Archangel is back at the house, so Hawk punches him for bringing Gabrielle to the house. Like, to so, because he said, Oh, you got her to sort of woo me. And he's like, <laughs> Punch, take that. And his yeah, hair goes a bit. him out, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah and his hair, and, and Jamichel Vincent's hair goes a bit crazy. It does. Uh, he gets really heavy at the front. After 58 <laughs> minutes, we're on to the mission. Finally. This is a, 90 minutes long, so we've got 30, well over three quarter, two thirds of this is nothing. <laughs> it's him going, uh, Cello. <laughs> Hello. I want to the mission and Hawk and Santini head off to Libya independently. Yeah. With no with no plan to meet up. <laughs> because when they do meet up, it's like, hey, it's me. <laughs> it's like, oh it's weird. Did you not th- did you not think to make a plan to meet up? Make a plan, damn it. You can't just do what <laughs> yeah. they've got to do and make, without a plan. You can't just yeah, waltz like, in oh. there. Yeah, Libya's a big place. <laughs> Unbeknownst to Hawk, the previous spy dancer was killed by Moffat. We know this because he said he's going to kill her or something like that. So they sent another one, Gabrielle, who is now also Uh-oh. a dancer in the same bar, <laughs> doing the same dance, doing the same dance. Because that's you know that's all we that's all we could do. We're now over an hour in, and Gabrielle's dancing in a bar, and Hawk turns up somehow in the back room. <laughs> How, how, how did he get there? It must be really easy for Americans to travel freely around Libya in the 80s. Yeah, especially in the go-go bars. Yeah, it's just like it's Americans everywhere in Libya. They were well-welcomed. You know, they were welcomed. Just like, yeah, Americans, come over. Yeah. Like, uh, anyway, yeah, come over. she provides him with some intel and then promises not to die. Forewarning. Heavy foreshadowing happens. They made plans. Oh, dear. They hug. It is emotional. It's what I've written here. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> On the way home, Hawk bumps into Santini. 
of, of, which is lucky. Literally just bump, yeah. bumps into him in a car, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. It also transpires they're on a time limit to make off with Airwolf. And within four <laughs> hours, jets are heading in to blow it all to kingdom come. Stupid. Gabrielle is then picked up by Moffat and the Major for being a spy. Well, of course she is, because she's a go-go dancer at the bar and it's only yeah. populated by spies. Moffat <laughs> drives out into the desert and ties her to a Jeep to slowly die of exposure and dehydration in what is actually quite a nasty series of scenes. Yeah, it is actually. Unusual. It's really unpleasant to watch. It's yeah. really sort of like, there's a problem. This program has problems. Santini and Hawk <laughs> make their way to the base by speaking Italian. You're in Libya. You'd think they speak Libyan. So, yeah, Santini and Hawk make their way to the base, speak Italian. Then they climb a wall and walk in <laughs> to steal Airwolf from what we speak, the least guarded, heavily fortified compound in the world. They literally just clamber over a wall. They just see them pop up over a wall and just sort of walk. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. Borgnine. He's. <laughs> He's known for a lot of things, but stealth is not one of them. <laughs> so true. So true. Uh, after stealing the suits for Airwolf, good job the... Uh, Ernest Borgny is also a rotund. Yeah, it's a good job they had that. <laughs> bit of girth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Bit, bit of give in the old waste department. Elasticated wastes <laughs> on those suits are always a good idea. Absolutely. <laughs> so they steal these to hide their identity. They manage to get on board. Ernest Borgnine works out how to start it by seeing the start button, <laughs> which made me laugh loud. <laughs> how to start this? Oh, cunk. Oh, there it is. and then Stringfellow Hawk punches some people gets on board they proceed to shoot the hell out of the compound and anyone else in the way and and with that massive those massive machine guns this would be actually like the scene from Rambo with the mountain machine gun if it was realistic they would just be body parts people would just be ripped to shreds but it's TV so people just dive about a bit guys leap about in death throes and trees get cut down and then they bugger off with Airwolf (laughs) so finally they've gone off with Airwolf at this point, we see Moffat driving away back back through the desert, um, and they've they've been they're told that he's got Gabrielle, and they sort of head out to where she is to find her. But unfortunately, she dies in Hawk's arms. She um, does. She dies and like that. Um, so that's what happened. This changes Hawk's emotion from morose to angry. It does. We can it does we can indeed. we can tell that sort of thing because his eyes get like a millimeter tighter. I've not felt so emotional about a death like that since Daphne died in Neighbours. <laughs> no, Daphne. No. <laughs> he, he did go no eh, as well <laughs> he did but he then gets back in airwolf and chases him down chases moffat down avoids avoid some missiles and tanks along the way and then moffat gets out the car and, and i have to, this bit made me laugh the amount of missiles he fires at him <laughs> <laughs> all of them all everything and to be fair i actually quite because he's very angry um he is. he's like yeah to so it's a serious case of overkill but I can get I can get behind it. Having done this, he makes his way back home. Tells Archangel that he's keeping Airwolf from any wrongdoing hands that the firm might have in planned you know might have planned for it. Mm. Um, and t- until they can find out what happened to his lost brother because he still believes he's alive. Um, and he hides the he hides mm. Airwolf in a in a cave somewhere. Then he goes out and places cello on the jetty again, whilst the eagle flies overhead. Because Gabrielle's uh, dying words were, "I wish I could have seen the eagle." Uh. Everyone loves the eagles. <laughs> Absolutely. So we talk, well, welcome, welcome to the to hotel, hotel California. <laughs> Not those hawk. <laughs> you fool. <laughs> You're an idiot, hawk. <laughs> no, he was angry. <laughs> I'm going to kill you, Muffet. I'll get you, Muffet. <laughs> I'll get you, Muffet. <laughs> On the airwolf. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Muffy. 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah, so he plays the <laughs> cello and and he sheds a, a single tear for Gabrielle. And that's it. That's the story of Airwolf. That's it. A lot of talking, <laughs> a bit of action. <laughs> That sums him up, actually. <laughs> it is. So the first issue with the story is it takes too long to get anywhere. Yeah, uh, you could say way that. Too yeah. Way too long. There's too much long. time at Hawk's Cabin. It doesn't move the plot along. Um, I kind of I kind of get that we're trying to build a relationship between Hawk and Gabrielle. It just doesn't feel genuine. So when he gets no. angry and flies off to kill Moffat, eh, it's it, it's only the only bit here that makes that work, that sequence, because I didn't really feel for it, was the introduction of the Airwolf music and shit getting blown yeah. up. So, you yeah. know, it stirs the interest. It's like, ah, oh, finally, the airwolf music, and we've got to do some airwolf shit. Um, uh, but it's not his desire for revenge. I didn't give a crap. Secondly, the more problematic thing with this, uh, this episode, it's deeply misogynistic. The women yeah. in this are just treated terribly, even by yeah. the standards of the time. Um, I was yeah. quite like shocked at some of this stuff. When a soldier states that our boys might get killed if Hawk doesn't steal Airwolf, he's reminded by a female officer that the first female spy has already given her life for the mission, to which he states, it's just a figure of speech with a smile. <laughs> like, be a bit more... Uh, Come on. Then we've got the slow torture and death of Gabrielle, which is really Pretty unpleasant bleak. to watch. Um, and and the, the show is just, is just introduced to him to woo him into accepting the mission, then serves the plot by dying to make him angry enough to kill Moffat. She's essentially, she's, you know, I don't know what you call it. She's plot bait, she's sexual bait yeah. to sort of entrap him into doing it. Then once she served she that is. purpose, her only purpose then is to die to make Strickland Hawk angry. That's it. She served yeah. her purpose. She's, there's no, the, the women in this have no agency. There's nothing. They don't do anything. It's incredibly bad. And, and Moffat and the, the language towards them and stuff like that, it's it's very unpleasant. And watching it, I was like, oh, I'm not sure I like this. So, um, mm. yeah, but that was probably, a, you know, a thing that I picked up on. Hemings Moffat is very one-sided. His hatred for America is never really explained or explored, apart from something about Project Proteus. Maybe I missed something, but mm. I didn't really. And it's a bit pantomime overall, isn't he? Yeah, very starey. Yeah, Borgnine and Cord as Santini and Archangel, they're fine. They fill in the roles of the foil and the mentor. Yeah, but they're okay. Yeah, so, yeah, they're all right. But I found Vincent's demeanour off-putting at times. mm I agree. I mean, I guess it fits the show. It feels like what they were going for here was kind of a bit more serious approach to this kind of like formulaic stuff. Yeah, try it. To kind of try to fit that into his character with the sort of be giving him a bit more rounded backstory and things like that. They'd obviously sort of taken a sort of notes from what they tried to do with Michael Knight in Knight Rider and the death of his partner mm. and all that kind of stuff. But th- this tried to play it much more seriously. I think from watching it though, I could have just done with less cello playing. And I think there's there's <laughs> a, a bit more character development for him in this pilot. There's not enough. He's just, he's very no. one note, you know, he's, he's very. morose and annoyed and they try and sort of <laughs> work this sort of love interest in but it doesn't really work so i think it is quite well put together it does actually work in a sense and i think they've, they've tried to do a something different with this but the main issue with this it's just pretty boring yeah for a film yeah. about for for 90 minutes of what's supposed to be about a show about a, a, a helicopter doing some cool stuff there's very little of that there's a lot of talking mm. So I give this a boring score of five. Ooh, okay. I didn't think it was that great. It's just, it's mediocre. It's in the middle. It's middle. It's a five yeah. for me. What did you think? Just to, you know, nothing to add other than I, I mean, I agree with you entirely. I think the, the chief problems are exactly as you described with the story and characters of Airwolf in that the characters are, the, you know, the villain is the villain. Fine. Um, I get that. And, and he's kind of, he does ham it up a bit. You know, it's the guy from um, Deep Red, isn't it? The old horror film, Deep Red, I think yeah, he's yeah, in that. D- yeah, yeah, David Hemmings, yeah. So, so he's, you know, he's not a bad actor in that kind of role. And he kind of, he does okay in it. You know, it's, it's, myst- it's mysterious why he suddenly decides to start, you know, be doing what he does and becomes the evil villain. And he just decides, you know, to sort of 
do straight, really strange things, just fire guns at things. It did make me laugh that his, his entire plan to take down Airwolf was to shoot a bullet with a revolver into a tailpipe that's the size of a hose. <laughs> yeah. Which is odd that they would even leave that as a weakness in the, in the actual helicopter. I've got a feeling it's a Star Wars reference. Could be a little bit. But, it, but you know, the problem with it is you, the main problem is it just drags. It's just this like this endless repeat visits to a wooden cabin. <laughs> I mean, there's a really mysterious bit that I still haven't figured out why Archangel steals all of his artwork. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I was going to mention that, but I was so bored. I was like, oh, who cares? <laughs> he's outraged because he, he comes back and he's, all of his artwork's been stolen. And it's never really explained what the purpose of that, sealing all of that was for. And then they just put it back later. Anyway, it's like, what? Anyway, I, I don't I don't get it. But yeah, watching Stringfellow Hawk catch a fish. And there's a really weird bit in that as well, isn't there? When she gets kind of emotional about the fact that he's going to eat a fish. Because she's like, oh, don't <laughs> yeah. eat the fish. It's a lovely fish, that. But it, it's like, look, you're talking about a fish. And then he 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 tricks her about eating lamb and stuff. Yeah, make with the war helicopters. <laughs> and then also, you know, you know, we'll look at this a bit later on in terms of some of the, you know the some of the cinematography, but some of the footage in it is a bit naff compared to the Airwolf footage. And it's just I don't know, it just doesn't hold together. And the key problem, in I've got no problem with Dominic Santini. You know, Ernest Borgnine is a seasoned actor, and it shows. You know, he he just he just turns his hand to this, and, he, and he's very likable in that role. Good in it, mm. and Alex yeah. Cord is pretty good as Archangel. You know, even though he is a kind of um, that guy out of the um, Marvel movies, isn't he, with the eye patch and all the rest of it and all that kind of thing? So he is a what's oh, he Nick Fury. Fury. Yeah, so he's yeah. a Nick Fury kind of character. There's a little bit of that, I don't think. But and they, those characters work because they are exactly what they're meant to be. Stringfellow Hawk, though, just he's just that kind of a troubled, miserable guy that just doesn't really give a shit about anything anyway, and he's impossible mm-hmm. to reach. I mean, the first thirty minutes of his encounters with Gabriel. And mumbles in the dark where he just basically just rejects her all the time. The only time he kisses her is after she says that don't eat a fish. And that must be what endears you to women. What a weird thing. What a weird world we're in. So aside from some of the helicoptery bits in it, the story uh, as it goes is really weak and it's really not holding anything together. And I don't, you can't buy into his revenge plot because it's so last minute and so thoughtless. And he pretty much takes out the entire continent of oh, this high country of Libya's army with the uh, airwolf in his, in his rage attack and it's like well hang on a minute what are you doing here you're supposed to be in this supposed to be like a stealth thing get in the helicopter and get out this is this is the firefox equivalent of you know Clint Eastwood go into the airbase get in firefox and just bombing everything it's like, don't do that just get away but no mm-hmm. can't do that can we don't know and I so I gave this um, I gave this a four actually for it's because of its dreariness but I'll go with you know I can balance that as a five if we if we need to balance things but okay so I'm happy with, I think I'm, well yeah we're not doing point five so if we split the middle and round up I guess isn't it four point five to five five's all right five yeah okay. I think we'll go for, yeah we'll go for five so five so it's fives I think so yeah bang in the middle I think it is very middle of the road very middle yeah okay well let me regale you then Adrian with tales of the blue thunder. So Blue Thunder is, uh, this This begins with a very cheesy intro, um, montage, a montage of Blue Thunder flying around and a bunch of characters you won't be familiar with at all looking around <laughs> over their shoulders and looking confused. Because <laughs> this, this, this was a show that was put on halfway through a, a syndicate, syndication, wasn't it? So it was to replace something else with characters that weren't in the film because, of no. course, the Blue Thunder was the film first. And Blue Thunder actually came out just before Airwolf in terms of syndicated showing. You did. But you wouldn't know it. I mean, you would be familiar with these characters, at least one of them, if you watched Dynasty because he played a character in Dynasty. But other than that, and a couple of them were in the NFL, which I'll come to in <laughs> the stupidity of that in a moment. But <laughs> yeah. um, so, so that's the big, that's just the opening sequence. And it ends with mach, you know machine gun fire and an explosion. That 
little sequence kind of sums up a lot of what we're going to go through with Blue Thunder. Mm-hmm. Machine guns and explosions. So the story starts with an LAPD helicopter flying somewhat erratically, I thought, <laughs> towards <laughs> some kind of hostage situation at a house on the Pacific Coast Highway, which is t- probably Malibu, if there's any houses there to be on there. Because mostly the Pacific Coast Highway is A, about three or 400 miles long, and B, maybe longer, and B, it's uh, it's mostly rocky coastline and yeah. with a few sort of bits on the side. So anyway, so apparently there's a hostage situation down there. Luckily, the helicopter knows where that is. Um, and the suspect is trying to escape from the house. Um, so why, why radio that to the helicopter that can't do anything about that? <laughs> radio that to the p- people on the ground who can actually stop that anyway. Then the police chopper is attacked mysteriously <gasps> at the blue and shot down by some kind of aeroplane. Um, there's an explosion and then the plane flies away. Okay. What's all that about? No one knows. No one, <laughs> no one knows. knows at this point. Then we cut to two characters inside some kind of van. <laughs> <Aye>. <laughs> this is Bubba Kelsey, who's played by Bubba Smith. And oh, I have Could to even say change his name. His name. <laughs> this is Ski Butowski, played by Dick Butkiss. <laughs> Butowski. <laughs> Ski, his or, or name's Ski Butowski. Punchowski. Ski Butowski, Mr. Punchowski. He's played by Dick Butkiss. Honestly, that's a real name. Anyway, they're transporting a computerized databank system slash ground support to some kind of planned military hardware demonstration, very similar to what we were seeing in the beginning of Airwolf, really. Now, this demo, set up by Apex, some kind of federal agency that is in charge of the Blue Thunder unit, and hosted by Captain Ed Braddock, played by Sandy McPeak, and Major McLove. You can't make these names up, can you? Major (laughs) McLove is his name. (laughs) Although he says, I'm Major McLove. (laughs) (laughs) But he's spelled McLove. He is McLovin. (laughs) He actually is McLovin. Anyway, Major McLove. That's played, he's played by Robert Balderson. And the aim seems to be impress a small crowd of people, possibly helicopter enthusiasts, some military, there's, na- there's Navy officers in there. There's cosplay. I think it might be cosplay. Out. <laughs> yeah. I've just got the impression that they just went, right, grab all the grab all the uniforms from that cupboard, put them on. This is some kind of event. I'm like, well, hang on a minute. I'm a, I'm a woman in, I'm in the women's naval outfit, an officer. Anyway. What am I doing here? Anyway, so... What my, why would I be here? Anyway, the aim it seems to be impress this crowd of people, possibly, like I say, helicopter enthusiasts, but mainly Senator Dudley Martin. That's a guy called David Wiley. Now, last found, last thing I remember seeing him in was the film Society, where he was shunting somebody. And oh, I don't yeah. want to think about that again, but that was no, him. Probably not. Um, so, and that's basically trying to impress him so he can find and secure some additional kind of funding. For what? It's never explained. For what purpose and why and how this would impress him, it's never explained. Just, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. By the way, the two officers in the van, that's Kelsey and Potofsky. And that's the one with the computerized databank system. <laughs> Just computer. <laughs> <laughs> it's the right? 80s, remember. It's the early 80s. <laughs> Don't, the sound effects in this domain. Uh, so that's, they turn out to be the ground support element of Blue Thunder, a unit known as Rolling Thunder. Okay. Ah. Whose purpose is not really revealed any point. No. Um, no. It's just ground crew that follow them about. Quite difficult as well. Whenever they're driving in their van, it's always bouncing around on bad terrain. <laughs> it's, got, it's, not, it's got terrible suspension. It's, it really has. Then Blue Thunder, the most, uh, and described, quote unquote, the most awesome helicopter ever built. Like it, you, that, was the, that was Major McLove that said that. Come on, McLove. You could do better than that. <laughs> anyway, it's could. revealed. And then it noisily hovers over the crowd, making sure no one can hear a thing for at least five minutes. Because they're yeah. really loud helicopters. Yeah. Um, and, pr- and then it proceeds to destroy some kind of mock fake village with lots of bullets and explosions. An example of its crazy firepower, it would seem. Twenty, And then it's uh, some of these features are described by um, the uh, Captain Braddock. 
20 millimeter electric cannons that fire 6,000 rounds of ammo per minute. Now, let me just stop right there. That's a lot of ammo to carry and a lot of weight for a helicopter. Uh-huh. Isn't it? You are carrying a lot of bullets. It's unbelievable. Now, then Blue Thunder shows off its accuracy, and it starts to get weird here, by the way, by only shooting the red person-shaped targets and associated stuff, <laughs> leaving the white person-shaped targets unharmed. Cue more guns, explosions, targets getting shot, and white and red targets blowing up all over the place. But nobody seems to be too much about that. <laughs> and they also, this was also a scene, it was a scene that was cut from the film when they actually cut and re-edited it from the film to make it less dangerous looking and more gung-ho, go, go for it kind yeah, of thing. Anyway, we'll, we'll come back to that. Yeah, yeah. So we're also told the Blue Thunder has the most sophisticated surveillance system outside of science fiction. This includes such technologies as an infothermograph, pilot night vision sensor system, laser spot tracker, airborne video record and playback unit for those nights where it's lonely, I'm guessing. <laughs> High intensity <laughs> microphones, air to ground speakers. Like what? What is this? You're going to put a gig? Um, direct view optics, A, rotor noise repression. Okay, whisper mode. And then in a really weird tech display, they show they can read a business card from a long way away. And hear, and hear about a football result or something as well. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So they show off the, you know, it's, it's high surveillance capabilities, but because it can read business cards and listen to things from quite a way away, foreshadowing heavily the things that, you know, it's going to do. So you know it's going to do those things. Yeah. yeah. Then it gets even weirder when Captain Braddock announces that Kelsey and Potosky were somehow recruited into the Blue Thunder unit from the <laughs> NFL. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, hey, <laughs> why? 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 Why would they? Why would they be recruited? Why would you recruit two ex NFL footballers? And into an office work. one day, go. Do you know what? We haven't got enough people working from here. We've got men. We've got women. We've not got enough ex NFL players. Well, so, and, yeah. and the weird thing is, they actually are or were real NFL players, both of them. Yeah, so they yeah, actually they were, were in the NFL. So they played it in the teams they're joking about. One was in the Chicago Bears. I think I forget the other one. And Bubba is called Bubba. And he actually is, yeah, they were, they're real NFL people, which explains why they can't act for shit. No. And why they just talk about American football all the time, or football all the time. Anyway, it seems weird that that would be a career progression route when they come to the end of your career in the NFL. What do you want to do with yourself? Do you know, you don't want to retire? Do you want to be a sports commentator? A secret rolling thunder pilot for an armed helicopter unit in the, in the quasi-military? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. We'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> seems the whole demo was to announce that Blue Thunder is being assigned to support the LAPD because of the recent air attacks on their helicopters. And because, and I quote, they don't have any time to waste. Time that they do waste a lot of, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to do it the right way. <laughs> <laughs> then we Jeep. briefly meet the Blue Thunder pilot, Frank Cheney. He's played by James Farantino. He's a police officer of some kind. It's never really explained what kind of police officer he is. He's obviously a pilot now. Um, he seems to have a very frosty relationship with Captain Braddock. And you also meet his observer, Clinton Jaffo Wonderlove. Mm-hmm. And so that's played by a very young Dana Carvey before um, Saturday Night Live and Wayne's World that. and all of that. Yeah. Hey. He also turns out to be a computer geek, of course, because you have to have one of them in all these shows, don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, or in 80s parlance, uh, he's just full of tech words that sound very computery. He has yes. a conversation with the, one of these guys about the computers. If you've got a so-and-so, so-and-so algorithm chips and it's like, just shut up. You're talking, you should, I wish the guy just gone, shut up. He took a gibberish, man. Slapped him across the face. That's Stop like talking that, that Batman way. meme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're talking gibberish, you idiot. So later, at the funeral of the two pilots from the earlier aeroplane bombing shooting down, which turns out it was a Mohawk aeroplane, by the way, mm-hmm. um, the aeroplane reappears 
at the funeral and shoots up the place, which is not very nice. It's not very nice no, to do that, is it? It's just, not. Just shoots shoots everyone at the funeral. And it turns out, handily enough, the whole Blue Thunder team were also at the funeral, of course. Though sadly, their attempt to shoot the plane down with their pistols didn't work. Yeah, that's never going to work. You can't shoot airplanes down with pistols. They're really high up, no, generally. No. Bit of a silly thing to do. Um, anyway, it does the second pass at this and it drops a bomb. Or at least it seems to bo- drop a bomb. Luckily, it's a fake one. <laughs> Ob- and it's luckily and obviously a fake one for two reasons bombs don't just land they blow up when they go up when they drop when you drop a bomb it tends to blow up because it doesn't do that and then Cheney just walks back towards it like it's like it's nothing it's like he just goes towards the bomb it's like don't get in that bomb it's like ah, what are you talking about I'll do what I like so that could that, you know it could be a bomb I'm James Farantino I do whatever I want it turns out that the bomb isn't a bomb it's a message it's got a message tied to the back of it like you know like a strip you know it's very elaborate and the message laugh. is, Cheney, I'm back. I'm going to get you, signed PVC. It just says, I'm going to get you PVC. It's like, are <laughs> you going to buy me some windows? <laughs> I was laughing for ages. I'm, going to, I'm back and I'm going to get you some new windows. Your ones in your house are rubbish. Just what PVC? What is it possible? It, could it be about windows? Who is PVC? What's it all about? <laughs> Who knows? Why, why, why did he shoot up somebody's funeral? Did you get the impression that we're supposed to know? Because I did. I was like, I thought the show expected us to know who these people were. Well, I think, I think this, because it's leaning into some of the stuff from the film, nothing really tangible about No, there's that. nothing about this maybe, in the film. No, but maybe there's that, I think there's just alignment, some alignments of characters. But I, could, I, I don't know, maybe. I don't know. But you don't. That's the key thing. You know idea who this is no. at this point. But luckily in the next scene, they're just having to have it, have, be having a little coffee break so they talk about it, <laughs> then, which is, tends, to, tends to happen in this a lot. Yeah, So, um, So it turns out that PVC is an old narc informant that worked with Cheney sometime before, helping him bust drug traffickers. But then he learned all about drug trafficking and turned into one. <laughs> And then he turned on the department and started he did traf- a night course. In drug trafficking. We should never have paid for that course. Um, and then he uh, and then he, he says that he's been, he was trafficking drugs right under their noses, which I would assume if he did that, that was probably quite addictive. <laughs> Somehow he ended up killing Cheney's previous partner for reasons. And so Cheney chased him down at that time, blew his plane up and killed him in an angry exchange where he broke the rules because he's a rule breaker. He is a rule breaker. And we have to remember that. Well, he killed him, or so he thought anyway. Of course, he hasn't killed him, has he? It's noted here that this kind of maverick behavior is kind of Frank's MO. It's what got him grounded, whatever that meant back then. And it's now, and he, and he doesn't follow procedures. So all of this, somebody says to him, gunning somebody down in revenge, that's, that's not procedure. No. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it may not be procedure, but what the hell? I do what I like. It's That's a crap kind of dirty his MO. Harry. It's that dirty Harry line, isn't it? You know. Yeah, he is. You don't do what yeah, it is. But. It's this dirty Harry. It's not very good. <laughs> dirty Barry. <laughs> then while they're all stood there having this chat handily, while they're all stood having this chat about PVC, he rings them on the phone like he does. He knows they're in, he knows they're in there. He calls Handy. them on the phone at the police station and issues them with um, with more threats, confessing that he has blown up three choppers and killed two guys. Now that Frank is flying helicopters, he wants to blow up and turn him into a hamburger. In an act of revenge, I'm like, what? What? Why do you want revenge on him? What for? What did he do? You were smuggling drugs under his nose, and he blew you up. Yeah. <laughs> PVC wants to wants actually wants a one to one battle with Frank to enact revenge, and he goads them into confronting him by telling him where and when he will be for his next drug run, and that he intends to do more harm until his demands are met. Oof. Frank says he wants to use Blue Thunder to blow him up, track him down, and all that, with no regard for official procedure. <laughs> <laughs> Feeding him to giant spiders is just not the way we do it in LA. It's not the the way we do it. Something Captain Braddock strongly disagrees with, of course. 
It is a pretty heated exchange. Frank wants to kill him with the power of Blue Thunder. The captain wants to use an army to arrest him, even at the risk of losing time and potentially being humiliated. <laughs> Frank heads out with Blue Thunder anyway, heading into the exact area where PVC indicated and against the orders of the captain. But he goes anyway because he does what he likes. I do yeah. what I like, all right? He's, he's a maverick. There's a weird camaraderie section with Clinton, Jaffo, which stands, by the way, for just another frustrated observer or just another effing observer, depends which, you know. Yeah, which it is in the film, yeah. So he's, um, there's a weird sequence there where, and it's sort of setting up as the comedy sidekick that does weird noises and impressions, which he later does again and again and again and again. Yes, right he does. The, <sighs> right the way through its 11 episode run. It's very dumb, that sequence. It's very strange. He starts, you know, I think sort of a crap howling mad Murdoch from the A-team type yes, vibe. And that's very what, much. That's what you yeah. kind of get. Not as madcap as that, but in later episodes, he does weird impressions of, of different politicians and stuff like, does it in this one? Blue Thunder begins to track PVC to his base, which isn't too difficult, really, considering he told them where he was. <laughs> 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 he gave him the what three words. <laughs> he told him exactly where he was. I, I'll be here. He's in PBC. <laughs> he wrote it in the sand, big letters. I'm here. <laughs> but en route, and this is very important to note, they spot a helicopter on the ground with a cover over it. Why? Why would that be there in the middle of nowhere? Well, this will become clear later. It's very important. Mm, very so important. they spot that helicopter, um, which turns out it is a, pl- a police helicopter just parked <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Just park there. Just park, park it over there. It doesn't matter. Then they observe some drug gang behavior. This blue, blue, blue thunder sees um, some druggies or what looked like to me like parked cars in the garage, people just standing around. But hey, what do I know? That's <laughs> drugs from a distance. It must be. So they decide to make a helicopter-based arrest, which is a really daft scene. Yep. Considering the key strength of this helicopter is its stealth and long-distance video recording equipment optics, it seems mad that they would just drop on the drug dealers and then chase them around until the crew from Rolling Thunder, now in a car from nowhere... Uh, can support other officers to stop their escape. Because at one point they go, oh, they've seen us. It's like you're in a helicopter <laughs> right over them. Of course they can see you, even in whisper mode. They're not blind. It's a massive black helicopter. <laughs> you're in the middle of the desert. There's blue sky, yellow sand, and a black helicopter. <laughs> and they're facing you. <laughs> and you're facing you. And you were facing them, making loud noises. No, even on whisper mode. It's not that quiet. Um, I laughed out loud, by the way, at this scene when Bubba Kelsey arrested the bad guy by grabbing him, slamming him by the (laughs) neck into a car bonnet and shouting, move and you're a dead man. Not 100% sure that's official police arrest procedure. (laughs) That's how they do it in the NFL. (laughs) That's the the NFL way. He just grabs his whole hand around his neck. He's like, slam. I'm like, wow, that looked powerful. Powerful, he's a powerful man. (laughs) Meanwhile, Blue Thunder missed PVC, of course, or did they? Turns out he was stalking them and tries to get them into a fight. Cue a mini dogfight, cat and mouse style in the air, and PVC makes for Mexico, which is where he always tries to go. I'm off to Mexico. See ya. <laughs> yeah, he no. about and goes, up, goes to Mexico. He's like, he's off to Mexico. We can't catch him. He's too quick. We're never getting before he gets to Mexico. It's like, just get him. But not before he blows up that police helicopter that was handily left in the middle of the desert for no reason on the ground. Handy. Because, oh, look, they've, they've left a helicopter there. Ha <laughs> ha, boom. So he blows it up and then flies off to Mexico. Ah, oh, you rotter. Damn you and your... <laughs> Mexican border. I was going to use that. <laughs> Frank and the captain after this once again exchange views and disturbing the captain what looks like a very intense workout in the gym. <laughs> it's the gym scene. <laughs> stupid <Yeah>. gym scene. <laughs> stupid. 
It's really stupid. Really, really dumb. It's everybody's in there. The whole everybody that's in this is in that gym working out. It's mandated gym time. I think that's what it is. It's like it's like company gym time. So like everyone into the gym. Oh, not again! It's weird. Get in there. Come on, Bubba. And Captain Braddock's busy punching the crap out of this, you know, punch bag because he's obviously angry because he's followed so many procedures. That's what happens if you follow a procedure agent. You get angry. You got to punch punch bags to take out the anger because your procedures don't work. There's only one way you're going to get this PVC character. You know what it's going to be. But so Frank reveals in this exchange that PVC actually unloaded 300 kilograms of cocaine while they were messing about because he had them chasing around. And, and, and so doing things by the book, you're not going to get the results you need. You're going to have to, you know, break the rules. But Captain Braddock remains resolute. You are not breaking the rules. We follow procedure. Anyway, then there's a bomb, a bomb alert. <laughs> but this happened because they broke the rules, isn't it? Well, and they, they went off to catch him breaking the rules, taking Blue Thunder was what they were told not yes, to do. Yes, and then it all exactly. happened to him. And him saying, "Oh, this happened because we, but they didn't follow the rules." No, they didn't. No, there's a few rules broken there. Don't pack your police helicopters <laughs> in the middle of the desert. And by the way, is is helicopter the only mode of transport for all the police force in this yes. particular? That's, yes, yeah. So that there's a bomb alert thunder. at this point. Um, somehow, PVC managed to walk into the headquarters <laughs> of the Blue Thunder unit and plant a bomb. <laughs> Or at least what looked like a bomb. Everyone jumps into the helicopters because, of course, everyone's got their own helicopter. They don't just leave, you know, they, they leave the building. They get, they go to where the bomb is, which is on the, you know, the flight deck, and then get in helicopters and take off. It's like, look, I'm pretty sure this is not the procedure for exiting the building under a threat. All right, don't use the elevators in a fire. You know, go down the staircases, out to the, the you know, the, the the viewpoint, whatever you call it. The meeting point, and then you... the, ca- the car park meeting point is really <laughs> rammed with helicopters. They're all landing <laughs> yeah, on each other's rotor blades, <laughs> chopping people up. Everywhere. It's just a nightmare. <laughs> so they've got no other modes of transport. So they all fly off in their helicopters, except Blue Thunder, who noisily hovers ahead ag- overhead again, while two people carry the bomb or what looked to me like somebody's shopping shopping in a bag for life. Just rubbish. Uh, to some kind of disposal unit that was just a dustbin. I'll <laughs> <That'll> stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and then they place this object in it, and Blue Thunder then uses its special features to check what the bomb is by using its infrared scanners and stuff. And it turns out it's a radio transmitter that then emits a, a, a signal in Morse code, which is a basically PVC taunting Blue Thunder. Like, we translate the Morse code. He's just mocking us. But what he was doing, he was causing a diversion, wasn't he? It was a diversion. <laughs> PVC was actually hiding around the corner with a rocket launcher. As you do. Blew up another police chapter. It's like, what? That's dead funny, that piece. Really. <laughs> It might, have been the, it might as well have had moustaches and been twirling them. It's just at this Absolutely. point. Absolutely. And by the way, PVC, by this point, I meant to say earlier, PVC is played by Richard Lynch. Richard he's Lynch, played yeah. loads of baddies. He plays baddies in everything. He's always he the does. baddie. He's, the, he's in everything, that guy. He's a bad guy. So now we're <laughs> facing the situation now. We want another helicopter down. Blue Thunder, you know, the, the, luckily it wasn't a bomb. So the bomb disposal guys weren't harmed. But, you know, they did basically put a ginormous bag into a dustbin on a roof. Weird. <laughs> and caused all the helicopters to fly away. That distraction was all that PVC really wanted. He needed to cause that distraction. Frank and Clinton, at this point, decide to take matters in their own hands. Never mind procedures. They're taking them like, take it into their own hands, and they set a trap for PVC, with Clinton doing weird impressions while they're playing it all the time. So annoying. Yep. So is there anything more? And, and, and nobody in the UK would know who they were anyway, so bah. So they plan this kind of attack trap, and they set themselves up with rockets and weapons on the ground for reasons I don't understand. They just... They turn up, the Rolling Thunder team turn up with a load of rockets. And it's like, where do you get those from? He goes, ah, rockets are us. Yeah. But, no, where do, you, where do you get them? You've stolen military hardware. You've just turned up with a rocket launcher. And it's the way one of them has the rocket launcher. And then Buttkiss pulls out his missile and goes, hey, look what I've got. And he's waving it around. It's like, that's fucking dangerous. What are you doing? <laughs> 
That's an explosive device. You're waving around like it's a pen. Put it down carefully, you fools. <laughs> so then they, they stage this kind of, we've got fake permissions to take off. It's the worst ruse in the world. They just walk up to some poor woman and go, yeah, we've got a flight plan. She's like, oh, I can't see it on the system. Yeah, it is there, promise. Okay, you take that. Off you go <laughs> yeah. then. And then as it's flying off, she's like, wait a minute, they didn't have permission. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid, pointless. Why don't you, don't you need that scene? It's rubbish. Well, it's got to have a woman in it somewhere. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, honestly, the treat. I'll come back to this. The final, the final kick in the uh, the teeth for her. Inevitably, PVC is in his airplane, and Frank is in Blue Thunder, <laughs> and they meet in the skies to settle their differences once and for all. Frank with revenge on his mind, PVC with some kind of air to air missiles, and which he, ex- you know, they they sort of exchange threats. Frank extolling how much Blue Thunder is equipped. He's like, packing. He's like, he almost says those words, you know, I'm packing here. Don't mess with me. I've got I've got all the guns and the ammo and all the, all the cool shiz. And then PVC says, hi, but you don't want one of these. And launches a missile. Of course, this causes complete, you know, crazy. Oh my God, there's a missile. It's tracking us. It's tracking us. Luckily, they've got Clinton, who's nerdery, means that he can just, you know, randomly type into a keyboard, not type in words. He's just going, meanwhile, the computer's going, Luckily, managed to jam the missiles somehow, somehow. by just programming programming the jam code in there. Which, <laughs> you know, essentially, these aren't, I don't know how they did it, but anyway, jams both missiles. And they even try and outrun the missiles as well, but they managed to avoid them anyway. We see missile cam, which is quite interesting at that point. Yeah. But so Clinton's desperately tries to meet them, but thankfully, his nerdy skills prevail. And of course, they managed to then um, basically, have, the guy's got no more missiles left in his, his airplane. And um, he swoop around, they duck and dive, they manage to jam the radar, they get out of the way. And then they pursue PVC with the aim to destroy once and for all and then shoot him down with no problems at all, not a one. Just shoot him down, cold blood, boom, there you go, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> goes down the singing. The big explosion. He goes down singing. He goes down singing, he does. He goes down, it's really bizarre. And anyway, the epilogue after that, which is kind of a, you know, it's like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and it's just someone pouring a jug of coffee. It's like, it's pretty intense to go from that to some it's guy. It's literally just, police squad. It is, and it's just, it is literally police squad. He pours a coffee and he goes to chat up a co-worker woman who, and he just says, you know, hey, do you find a guy date with me? She's like, nah, don't. Yeah. It's, it's it's really bad. It's like crap. Jaffo like, does, yeah, Jaffo, in it, yeah. Yeah, he's just like, and he goes, would you like to come to my place? She's like, no, no, thanks. He's like, what the hell? And then the two NFL players, of course, who've just been them all the way through just being stupid, are arguing about who owns what locker at this point, for stupid sake. <laughs> Meanwhile, Frank's getting his ear bent over his decision to break the rules and kill the chief murder <laughs> suspect and terrorist suspect. Um, so he's given a week's suspension and then cracks a kind of weird and funny joke yeah. to the captain, who's like, well, I'll do what I like. <laughs> End of episode. <laughs> End of line. Just ends at that point. <laughs> End of line. Just ends. It's a really short epilogue. It doesn't really tie anything up. There's no mention of the guy that they've just murdered, essentially in cold blood. It's no, just oh, it doesn't matter. He was, you know, he's disposable. It's really strange the ending of this. It just stops. It just literally stops at that. Mm. And I think it's because it ran out of ideas and then perhaps ran out of footage to use. So the key problem with Blue Thunder is the <laughs> fact that it's tr- what it's trying to be. Um, yeah. it, it doesn't know. So you know, yes, we've got a helicopter, and I think that's as far as the thought process went. Yeah. What can we do with it? I don't know. We've got this footage where he just blows up this like village. All right, what else? Uh, well, we could have a an old aeroplane shooting down LA helicopters, police helicopters. How many have they got? Loads. Loads. <laughs> I'm pretty bit, sure they don't have a lot of them. That bit where they all fly off from the building sort of thing. It reminded me of uh, the bit in Indiana Jones and Last Crusade where he scares off the seagulls. <laughs> It's like I imagine one of the bombers goes running out going, rah, rah, and all the other helicopters go, <laughs> yeah, just flying away. Proper, please, they are like, I think actually, you're, you, I mean, joking aside a little bit, 
And when you say it's like police squad, thinking about it, parts of it actually really are. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it really, I mean, if you took away the helicopter action sequences, and I think there's probably a little bit, I wouldn't say there's more of them in this than Airwolf. So I think there's probably actually slightly less because there's that one scene at the beginning and then it's just, it, the, there's a lot of hovering. I think the, um, there's less there's less hovering in Airwolf than there is in Blue Thunder. Blue Thunder hovers around more. It just makes noises and annoys everybody. He's always talking, <laughs> shouting by the PA system and at people. What are you doing now? So a lot of that goes on in this, but not not if you think of the other super vehicle TV shows that we've looked at, like um, Knight Rider or Street Hawk and things like that. There's a big there's a lot of build up around the vehicle itself and its capabilities. There's none of that in these, and Blue Thunder's no exception to that. It's just this is what it can do, and it's mainly about blowing stuff up. Mm. And the thematic of that is completely at odds with its its movie counterpart as well, which we'll sort of come to in a bit. Um, so my issues are the, the characters are unlikable. Um, yeah. And they're not very well known and they're not very pleasant and nobody in it's very good. And the script is awful. So it's not been written very well. It's obviously been written in a rush. They obviously thought, well, we've got X amount of footage. So really what they were looking to do was just put stupid stuff between the footage and tie in some kind of loose story. Mm-hmm. The sequence is where Richard Lynch is in the airplane. It honestly looks like he's having a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> it's shot so badly the airplane. as well. It's like, it's like, it's like <laughs> one of these weird faces. <laughs> it's not good. He's got this really badly fitting helmet on as well. Like it looks like a World War II fighter pilot helmet. Yep, yep. It's, it's like, dreadful. What, what is going on? I mean, this is, you know, this is the 80s. So they had F-14s at this point. So why is he flying around in something that looks like it was from, you know, uh, 1952 <laughs> or 42? <laughs> yeah. and, and then it's, you know, he's got machine guns on the coming out of the wings. I'm like, what? what? Hang on a minute. What's going on? So your line of sight isn't going to work in a... Anyway, it doesn't matter, does it? What? It's just a bit stupid. And that's the problem with it. Um, that's how you begin the series. It can only go downhill, right, from there. You've got no yeah, characters I... that you've given any depth to. You've tried to make one of them the funny one. The main character's unlikable. Everyone else in it's kind of passe and a bit and a bit cliched, actually, especially the police captain, Captain Braddock. He's like the cliched captain. He's just angry. At, the bosses are going to chew my ass off and all that kind of stupid crap. Procedure, you've got to follow procedure. Is that going to be the mainstay of this show? Of course it is. Frank wants to, doesn't want to follow procedure and doesn't. He takes Blue Thunder out and does stupid stuff with it. And the boss is always at the end of the episode going to go, you, you be doing that. You should be doing that. Follow procedure. Damn you, Frank. Another week's suspension. That's mm. all it's going to be. You've been in it for 11 episodes. So I actually gave this a three because I thought it was really dire. Okay. What about you? Yeah. Just to come back to your point there about like the difference between this and um, sort of other vehicle-based stuff like we looked at with uh, Knight Rider, Street Hog, stuff like that, um, and even things like the A-Team and things like which you know which have um, vehicles as predominantly in it, like B.A. Brax's van. The thing is with those is that those vehicles are – everyday vehicles so they're they're used for travel i mean michael knight gets into his car and drives places because that's what we do we get into our cars we drive places street oak drives around the van drives about we do that sort of thing that's the point of those vehicles a helicopter is a specific thing only used periodically to make a try and so when you have that as your mainstay of the show you've got to then force the story to always include Blue Thunder, you know, it's like it's like what well, the Simpsons. It's Homer's advice, isn't it? It's like oh, all the time the characters should be saying, "Where's Poochie? Where's Poochie?" Rather than like, mm. "Where's what's Blue Thunder doing? Why aren't we in Blue Thunder? What's going on?" And once you do that, your your stories are very limited. Oh, we're being attacked by something in the air again. We uh, okay, it's quite quite problematic. But the problems here are manifold. You've got an antagonist called PVC. It's the first thing I've written, which is stupid. It makes no sense. What's give him a name? He's calling Peter. <laughs> Peter Collins, <laughs> Peter Victor Collins. Why PVC? No one's called that. <laughs> You've 
You've got character links that we're supposed to give a shit about. We don't. Like the Farantino, or Chasey, Cheney, and uh, PVC. Who cares? There's no backstory to any of this, so it's just nonsense. The one thing Airwolf did was it at least tried to build its characters. It took too long to do it. It was a bit boring, but at least it tried to do them. This just, uh, there's some stuff. You've got cliched cop characters all over the place. Um, with, like you said, with the uh, the nerd jockey, the, the the captain who just gets angry all the time. Um, yeah. But at first, is but he picks him. It's really weird. Here's the guy who's been who I picked, and then he's like, "I should never picked you." <laughs> it's like, why did you pick him? <laughs> weird. Um, and like, uh, and that's for Bubba and Ski. I just can't. I can't. Don't even know where to start. It's just so <laughs> stupid on every level. Oh, we hired him from the NFL. Oh my god, who wrote this crap? <laughs> the story makes very little sense. A rubbish plane is blown at police helicopters and flying in from Mexico. It would have just been taken <laughs> down by the American Air Force it would. <laughs> within about five minutes. As soon as an unidentified <laughs> object flying over LA, they'd be like, um, and as soon as it shot down <laughs> one helicopter, it had been blown the crap out of by scrambled F 14s from somewhere. I mean, just destroyed, just gone by. Um, so that's stupid. It's not. To, it wouldn't be left to strafe funerals. It strafes a funeral. I mean, who, <laughs> who does that? I know. And the bad and it allows the bad guy to smuggle in rocket launchers to downtown LA. This is so ridiculous. This is beyond the realms yeah. of belief. It is police squad level of plotting. Yeah. But you know, um, then we've got James Farantino, who he's no, he's no Roy Schneider. He's no Roy Schneider, is he? Let's you know, <laughs> no, he's, he's just not. not. No. He's a cut price Roy Schneider. He's an Aldi, Aldi Schneider. Um, it's just rubbish, <laughs> and we've got the whole. And, and if we're taking like, because I like I watched the film today uh, as part of this, I was thought, what's the film? And the film is very. The film puts Blue Thunder, the the, the thing itself, in a very negative light. It's like this is a dangerous thing and should not be about. The opening sequence where it blasts the town open, sort of thing, which is obviously just nicked for this. There's loads of shots of it just mowing down. Um, like cardboard cutouts of children and stuff like that, and they they don't use that in the thing, but they do use the bits with cars blowing up and blowing up the white bit, white character white white cardboard cutouts, not the red ones. And everyone's like, "Yay!" Mm. So the whole thing about the film is that the whole <laughs> surveillance stuff, the state police, state surveillance, and all that kind of stuff is very very bad. That's just completely yeah. gone here. It's just one eighty. It's like, "Yay, surveil!" <laughs> <laughs> so. No, this is a very miss. It's a very ill-judged spin-off. A very, very ill-judged. I don't know what they were thinking, and they called it Th- Second Thunder. So I just yeah. don't. I don't understand it. And and you know, we don't even mention the fact that Blue Thunder gets blown up at the end of the film. Yep, it gets so it gets blown up so many times. We see it four times. I watched it today. And I was like, God, we've watched this blow up four times yep. from four different angles. We yep. watched that. Watched that helicopter blow up. They want us to know that that helicopter is no more. <laughs> Yeah, because because you know he doesn't want it falling into the wrong hands, yeah, and then yeah. conversely in the TV series they don't want it. They want to use it. <laughs> Absolutely, it literally falls into the wrong hands, which is Farantino's because he's a man who doesn't follow the rules. We'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> it's just stupid. I gave this nonsense a two. Ooh, okay, yeah. Well, I don't blame you really, but um, you know, if you want to lift it to a three, we lifted thingy to a five. I'm willing to. It's up to you. We can do where well. we can stick to you know. We can stick stick to your guns. It's entirely up to you. I don't know. I'll, I'll go with you. You were the main reviewer on this one, so I'll I'll see what you, you I'll follow your lead. Oh well, okay. Well, then it's it's three apiece for Blue Thunder, and it was five apiece for Airwolf, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, after that, then so for the story and characters, then well, Airwolf has got a a, a summary, you know, five apiece. We'll tally other scores up at the end, you know, as we do, and mm-hmm. um, for the overall winner. 
but Blue Thunder has only got three three from you and three from me. That isn't good. That's that's dirty. Isn't it? That's dirty TV. That. That it's terrible. Good. It's one of the worst things we've good. watched. And we've watched Manimal. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> oh dear. I think uh, I think we need a break after that. Yeah, I think. Well, we need to. I need to nip off in Blue Thunder and just blow some stuff up, which is against the rules. But you know, I follow. I beat my own drum, and you've you got you've got to go and play a cello to an eagle. I was going to say, yeah, absolutely. My that cello ain't playing itself. <laughs> Calling all Jan Michael Vincents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this January, prepared to Michael your Vincents. Anyway, we'll leave. We'll leave it there. Then we'll take a little break, and we'll be back shortly after this quiet period of rest. Enjoy the cello music of Adrian and the flight of the eagle. <laughs> so that's story and characters. Thank you, you know, thank you for joining and keeping keeping with us. We both just got back from very intense missions. <laughs> Um, so and, and Adrian's been bombo- bamboozled by another female spy go-go dancer in Libya. <laughs> Absolutely, because <laughs> you know, she's the one job they can all get. So the next step then in our journey is to look and discuss um, the vehicles and stunts of both of these amazing TV shows. Well, say amazing. Let's not stretch it too far. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, so this time it begins with with my little journey into the vehicle and stunts of Airwolf. Let's go. None of these helicopters are what they actually are. Well, no, obviously <laughs> okay. not. No, no, because there is no such thing. But he- the, the flight-capable Airwolf helicopter was actually a cosmetically modified Bell 222 um, with the serial number 47085, just in case you want to check that out. Ooh. That's also sometimes unofficially called a Bell 222A. This is from the wiki. Is that for Airwolf? During, this is Airwolf. During the filming mm. of the series, the helicopter was owned by Jetcopters of California. The helicopter was eventually sold after the show ended and became an ambulance helicopter in Germany, where it crashed in a thunderstorm and was destroyed. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Airwolf down. <laughs> so the concept behind Airwolf <laughs> was that it was a supersonic armed helicopter that can be disguised. This was the original concept. It can be disguised as a civilian vehicle. That was its original designation. It was meant to be mm. a wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm. A called Andrew Probert designed the Airwolf uniforms, the insignia patch worn by the flight crew, and the bat-winged wolf head wearing a sheepskin. What a weird logo that is. A it's bat-winged not, yeah. wolf's head wearing a sheepskin. <laughs> that's a, that's been Roy Walker, that is. That's a Roy Walker logo, if ever I heard one. Tell you what you see. Is it a smelling bat-winged wolf head? You're right. <laughs> You're right. You're so close. Is it a go-go dancer? Clothing, you missed out. <laughs> she is a go-go dancer. You're right. <laughs> Ring. Um, <laughs> oh dear, um, bring back catchphrase. So, <laughs> so the top speed is apparently 155 miles per hour of this helicopter, 249 kph to you and me, and the range is 435 miles. That's not the range they said it was in. in well, the, the range they is said what it could they go for, miles. for the story. <laughs> yes, true. Now, without going into too much technical history, but the bell was replaced later and... You know, this apparently had space for six passengers, um, and it was good for good for executive business. Apparently, business level stuff. Mm-hmm. That's good. By the way, Andrew Prober, who designed the uniforms, also designed and, and credits included uh, things like Star Trek and Indiana Jones. So gets around. 
It does. He gets around. Um, he's got some nice pictures on his website from that as well. So, and the helmets were also designed. Um, they cover the crew's mouth um, and the breathing apparatus. So, which I suppose makes it look like you could easily reuse the f- helmets in terms of the actors. But in reality, yeah. they, you would die horribly if you wore them. <laughs> maybe. Um, so, you know, maybe avoid doing that. Yeah, there's obviously probably. a lot of, uh, there's obviously this, the TV show is about Airwolf the helicopter, principally. Um, so when it comes to vehicles, there's a lot of helicopters in this. Dom Santini has a helicopter in there. It's another one where mm-hmm. everyone drive, everyone flies in this. You know, it's like, where can we go? We <laughs> yeah. need to the shop. Rough of the helicopter. Because Dominic goes and gets his groceries and lands them in a helicopter. Yeah. And, and menaces a dog when he does that. Anyway, um, so Dom Santini's got a helicopter, the one with Santini air written on it, which is, I think, the one that they borrowed from Magnum PI. Because this is principally an, an idea that the guy had when he was doing Magnum PI because of the guy that mm. I think it was called TJ, I think, in Magnum PI. But there's a character in that. He flew a helicopter, a, yeah flew a helicopter yeah. and in one episode particularly he was doing aerial stunts in the helicopter and the guy went hmm, that's interesting maybe that could be a rocket powered you know helicopter where the <laughs> guy takes a go-go dancer to the desert and just you know, makes it die horribly that's a good story so he's got a helicopter archangel also has his own helicopter it's all white as well which did make me laugh it is. In, keeping, in keeping with archangel's theme he arrived in a white helicopter <laughs> yep there are no, there's no color in archangel's life that's why he steals the paintings Real colour. <laughs> I know I was expecting to wear any kind of colour, but no. And he's, you know, so he's kind of the opposite of Darth Vader, actually, isn't he, really? The mainstay of the remaining vehicles are principally most mostly military-type vehicles with the occasional car. You don't really see a lot of other vehicles in it, and I think they do that on purpose. Um, and there's certainly nothing in there with the same special features as Airwolf. So everything is done in service to Airwolf. Airwolf is the key vehicle. It's the big, it's the top one. It even, you know, it, t- it takes out a bloody, you know, a warship. But all of that footage of those things are destroyed. But all of that footage is not actual, actually shot for Airwolf. That's all stock footage, all of it, including the yeah, eagle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's just stock footage. Oh, you can tell, yeah, so, that eagle is so, not. So it's, <laughs> no. And when, the, when, the, when all the, the, the crew on board the ships are running around, you're like, that, that's weird. That looks like that was made in 1955. Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. So, so, so PVC's plane. <laughs> <laughs> um, when um, Airwolf decides to uh, go on a rampage and just blow loads of things up, it's targeting everything and everything inside. So there's tanks and there's all sorts of stuff in there, and it just they're just they're shooting at Airwolf. Airwolf's now, considering it's only got three missile launchers and it runs out of missiles after firing about six or seven at um, the baddie at the end of it, it seems to have an almost infinite supply of bullets and um, mm-hmm. and missiles. And it's not clear what kind of missiles they are. Those, I think there's an inference somewhere where they, somebody says they're nuclear-tipped, whatever that even means. I, I don't ask. <laughs> so it's Best got an infinite supply of bullets, which is handy because it takes out all of the different military vehicles. But that's kind of... Vehicles in this, aside from Airwolf, are throwaway things to blow up, like they are in uh, like they are in the A team. The A team's van is the key thing. Every other vehicle is something that could be blown up, thrown in the air, flipped over, or thrown off a cliff, or whatever. That kind of throwaway, and that's exactly how it is here. So anything that you park within the vicinity of Airwolf is going to get blown up, no doubt about it. So that entire compound blown up, everything in it blown up. The go-go dancing bar blown up. The cab outside, blown up. It's all blown up. Blow everything up. Kill everything. Don't leave anything anything standing. Tanks, blow them up. That French jet, that, that footage from 1938, whenever it was, blow it up. It's not even the same plane. The, the identifying system on the on, on Airwolf, it's like, it's, yes, I've identified the plane. It's a mirage. No, it isn't. That is not the same plane. It's, that hasn't got a nose cone. No, it isn't. It's just absolutely stupid. So, so... It's actually a pretty short story for Airwolf's vehicles because it's it's about one vehicle principally and everything else is in service to the vehicles. It's just alarming how many helicopters 
there are dotted about. There is, of course, the shootout towards the end with the two armed helicopters. But then you know they're not going to be a match for Airwolf because Airwolf makes that noise, that noise when it flies. It's like, why is it doing that? Why are you making that noise? What? What's the purpose of that noise? But anyway, it does that noise. So it's super powered, isn't it? And it's got all the magic powers. Now, just a quick note on the stunts, by the way. The stunts in this, um, and, the, and the, the the footage of the vehicles, of Airwolf, is pretty good when it's shot, it has to be said, of Airwolf. Mm-hmm. The stock footage is really the big letdown here. So when you see Airwolf shooting across the desert and flying around, it's shot really nicely. Those, it's, very, it's leaning into the idea of, I hate to say it, but there's a Top Gun-y vibe about it. You know, that kind of the way they've shot them. The, sh- the shooting of military vehicles in this is very of the 80s. So lots of yeah. sunset-driven filters, helicopters gliding across, you know, desert landscapes, that kind of thing. It's, you know, it's what it is. Um, and so you get a lot of that. Now, just a note on the stunts for this, since it's a vehicle and stunts thing. Obviously, the stunts in this were all coordinated by a guy called Ron Stein. Um, and he did all he did all 53 episodes, or at least 53 episodes of the main series. Now, he's done loads and loads and loads and loads of stunt work over the years, including films like True Lies, Last Action Hero, Roadhouse, which would be laugh, Action Jackson, <laughs> Scarface. Um, there's over 90 credits for him as a working stuntman. So the guy has a pedigree in setting up the stunts, and it kind of shows a little bit here. Um, so mm-hmm. out, the ground-based stunts are obviously mostly people being blown up. So that's explosion, people getting launched, you know, stuntman style off those kind of air cannon things and firing onto boxes or to the side or whatever. So there's a lot of stuntmen being blown up and then, you know, in pyrotechnics. And those, the setup for those is pretty good. It, it's daft, but it's very like the sort of thing you would expect to see in, um, in a toned down version of Action Jackson or a toned down version of those films. So it's very 80. Mm-hmm. So no, you're, you're not going to yeah, see, yeah. like you said, you'd, it, had this been a, Rambo movie later in the fight, you'd have just seen Carnage, like in that Rambo, you know, the third Rambo movie or the fourth one, sorry, where it's literally yeah, yeah. blood, blood splattered Carnage everywhere. It would be like that, but this is TV, so it's just you no, know, nobody really dies. They just happen to be near an explosion and they just get blown in the air. That's what happened, you know. Never mind that that would vaporize them or burn them to death or the lungs would be liquefied and all that horror stuff and their their limbs would be you know blown up all over the place. No, they're just launched. Yep. So you know, explosion, launch, mm-hmm. explosion, launch, so that kind of thing. So that's that. There's a lot of that kind of stunt work in it. Um, main actors don't really do many stunts. Obviously, there's a bit where there's some aerial stunt coordination when they're pretending they're shooting a bit in a film fairly early on with Don Santini, but none of them are. That's a stunt helicopter pilot, and there's no real stunts, as in physical stunts. There's just people, you know, he, he sort of waves the helicopter around and scares the guy in it. Okay. Um, the aerial stunts for the photography of Airwolf and everything else, those are pretty good. I mean, they've obviously got some really keen pilots. I couldn't find anything about them. Um, so I'm guessing that they're military pilots. And it surprised me how maneuverable that Airwolf version of Airwolf, the Belk helicopter, actually must have been. Because mm-hmm. it does come over a pill, albeit that they obviously shoot these things and edit it so that it sort of you know, skips and they, they frame skip, don't they? So that it looks like it's moving a bit quicker and stuff like that. Um, so there's a lot of good aerial work and aerial stunts. Uh, the physical stunts are generally people being launched from launcher things and whatever explosion when Elf is busy blowing things up. Um, and then there's that horrible grainy stock footage all the way. Um, so mostly mini explosions and people jumping, all very TV series type stuff. That's mm-hmm. actually the biggest letdown of it. I think their attempts to try and make more of Airwolf have just resulted in them only being able to do what TV can do. And the limitations are very clear at that point. Um, and so, you know, they don't, they've obviously not tried to explore the in-depth characterization that was probably required to make it more compelling that way because they've got Stringfellow Hawk, you know, talking about a woman and eating a fish. So you know, let's, let's not go down that road. The scriptwriters aren't that talented. So, you know, they were relying on the stunts and the vehicles to try and pull this off. And the, to be fair, 
it's even though the vehicle in Airwolf is very good because it does look cool and it was a very popular looking helicopter and you can't deny that it's a very iconic helicopter and the design of it and everything um other than that there's not a like great deal to add with um with Airwolf I'm afraid um so Airwolf helicopter very cool I give it a 7 because the helicopter is extremely cool everything else it's not Airwolf that's these to look at is it Airwolf that's amazing is it not Airwolf nah, rubbish yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah what about you Pretty much exactly the same. My first sentence, Airwolf is a cool-looking, it's slightly bubbly helicopter. It always reminds me <laughs> um, of like the uh, Playbus like helicopters you'd kind of get. It's got a bit of bubbliness to it. It's that soft, yeah. soft contoured. I don't know if it's an Airbus or whatever, but that's what it is. I like the paint job and colours. They're cool. I think it looks good. Uh, I think the silhouette, silhouette cast looks good. That opening sequence where it sort of rises up out of the desert, they're opening shots. It looks nice. And when it sort of, that lizard drops off the bottom of it weirdly. But when it's sort of facing into the camera, it's like, oh, that's a cool looking vehicle. It's a cool yeah, looking it does vehicle. Look smart. Yeah. It's more rounded than Blue Thunder, but that makes it, a fr- it f- it's a friendlier looking vehicle, though. It, like, yeah. Yeah, like a dolphin, so the, like a sky dolphin. Yeah. But so I, so I get the kind of wolf in sheep's clothing thing because it's like, yeah. oh, it does look all right until its missiles blow you up. But, you know. <laughs> Um, I think it's okay. I think, though, we'll come to this in a bit. I think the music does a lot of the heavy lifting to make it look cool. Yeah, that's why I said it's 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 the we'll look, come to, but it's, it's something else. Yeah, that yeah. we'll come to that in a bit when it and because when, when it finally gets a workout in the last ten minutes or so of the show, um, it's that music that makes it cool. But it's flying around a bit and it's all right. Um, and that's also like you know once it takes off and they nick it, it's where most of the stunts happen as well. And like you said, yeah. they're okay for TV shows. There's people jumping around. I don't, there's, I don't, there's not much to say. Is there? There's nothing that made me want to watch this again. I gave it a six because no. I thought the stunts, because yeah. there's not enough of them. I wanted more. Um, but the vehicles is primarily Airwolf. I didn't really give a crap about anything else um, in, in grounds. But so I gave it a six because Airwolf is cool. And if, if just Airwolf, and there's loads more Airwolf, it probably got an eight, but there's not. So I gave it a six. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a good score, though. It's, you know, it's, it is what it is. Yeah, because it is a one vehicle show, isn't it? <laughs> it is very much so, very much so. Unlike Blue Thunder, <laughs> which uh, I guess we'll come to next. Yes, yeah, yeah. So let's go, go Blue Thunder. Blue Thunder itself. So I'm, I'm just going to quote. I found an article um, on Ars Technica by Peter Opaska, and he was, and they did link to this, but I couldn't find the original. It wasn't. It's no longer there. I don't think. But he cited an interview from 1983 with the. This is from the film Blue Thunder cinematographer John A. Alonzo in American Cinematographer. And I'm guessing the the helicopter they used was pretty much the same helicopter. I'm guessing, and yeah, it looks the same. So. So, so the heli. So this is from that quote. Uh, This is from the uh, interview with John A. Alonso, who was the uh, cinematographer for the film. So the helicopter eventually cast in the role after extensive research was a 1973 French five-seat executive helicopter called the Aerospatial Gazelle. You know, you can actually buy one of these. I found there's three of them. I found three of them to buy. Um, It has a 592 horsepower engine, which can run up to uh, 43,500 revs per minute. And it can fly at speeds of up to 200 miles per hour. Among the distinctive features okay. which helped it win the part is its turbine-style tail rotor with a shark-like fin. It was felt that the tail configuration helped make the helicopter look both exotic and menacing. Mm-hmm. The cockpit, however, was completely redesigned to have flat windows and the simulated surveillance gear, weapons, and armor plating were added to the exterior. The net result was that the craft was a bit nose-heavy and could only fly about 100 miles per hour, but the ship still flew well enough to be perfectly convincing in its role. The gun on the front of the helicopter, which is supposed to be a 20-millimeter cannon capable of firing 4,000 rounds per minute, was simply a set. So that's for the film, remember? They upped it to 6,000 in the yeah. TV show. <laughs> so it was simply a set of wooden dowels 
on the real version of the helicopter. Mm. <laughs> That's all it was. Even though this particular mock the gun was not capable of firing, it was capable of turning and was hydraulically controlled. The gun seen firing in the film is another mock-up which was not mounted on the helicopter, which consisted of metal tubing with spark plugs to ignite acetylene as it was blown through the barrels. There you go. Bubba. So, there's a lot, I mean, the thing is with Blue Thunder, does it look cool? I think it does. I think it's another yeah. cool helicopter. It's all yeah. – in. It, and, and I think there's a there's a nice differential here between um, Air, Airwolf and Blue Thunder because plus Blue Thunder is all angles, it's all angles and yes, guns. It so is. whereas Blue Thunder, whereas Airwolf is all curves and cuddliness, you know, is this is all angles and shark. It's yeah. you know that shark fin at the back. It's got this kind of shark. It's got to bite you. This is a this is a predator. Mm. Um, and it, and you know, and it would do as it was designed for film, and you know, and it do as it was designed because sorry, it would do as it was designed for a film and not for a cheap TV show. Yes, um, if this had been designed for this TV show, it would have looked like something from Fireman Sam, I think. Yeah, um, but because they got the because the cost they managed to, and that's I think what's led to this. It obviously led to this entire thing being made. It's like we've got this bloody cool helicopter. Let's let's do something with it, and then they came up with this crap. It doesn't negate the fact, though, that the helicopter in the show is called Blue Thunder. It's a cool, ace-looking helicopter. It'd be fitting the idea of a dark vehicle. And this is the difference. It's a dark vehicle. It's all black. Unlike, um, you know, it's all dark vehicle. It's all, you know, tinted windows, whisper mode and all that yeah. kind of stuff. This is a vehicle of surveillance and urban control, yes. you know, which is, of course, something the show completely elides. It's not there. Yep. But it's still there in the design. So you can't take away that those factors from the design of that helicopter. It just Correct. looks ace. Uh, and I think, and uh, I mean, I don't want to, because that's it really. There's other helicopters, police helicopters. There's uh, what's his face's yeah. plane, which is stupid. And there's Rolling <laughs> Thunder, which is also yeah. stupid. So yep. th- in, in in the context of the show, the, the Blue Thunder thing, which is the good thing from the film, looks ace. Everything in the TV show is garbage. Yeah. So, yep. which is a shame. And as for the stunts, well, the stunts were co- coordinated by uh, Bob Harris. Um, <laughs> Bob Harris well, he's, he's like the, the guy you said for Airwolf. Been working in the industry for ages. He goes back to things like the Alamo, like in the sixties. Been working since wow. nineteen sixty. He goes back to he's got credits on uh, Dirty Harry, Magnum Force, Sugarland Express. Wow. Makes um, sense. Stunt coordinator. His first one was Night Terror. Then it's Return from Witch Mountain, Cat from Outer Space, The Deer Hunter. Okay. Wow. China Syndrome. Okay. He was responsible for the stunts in Falcon Crest. I don't know what they were. <laughs> don't know what they were. Uh, the Love Bug, and also. Sword and the Sorcerer. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, also, Blue Thunder, Goonies, Commando, Short Circuit. Yeah, he's been around. And that so he was. He'd been around. He was. A, he was a stunt coordinator. Not that it shows. No, not, <laughs> not a lot that it shows in, in this. There. I don't think there's lots of helicopter and plane plane flying action. I'm not sure if that really gets comes out of stunt work though. Nothing really. There's. I, there's, I can't remember any stunts. There's maybe people jumping around at the funeral bit. Yeah, that's, there's not many. There's really not many in because all, all the action in this takes place. In the air. In the cockpit and in the air, yeah. Yeah. So there's whether there's something for the plane, whether he was sort of responsible for the flying of the helicopter or something, I don't know. I reckon that would be someone else. Um, but there's nothing really here for stunt-wise. I, I was watching it going, maybe. I mean, he's he's stunt coordinator for all 11 episodes, so there may be more to do later on. Um, who knows? There's there's a reason the show only lasted 11 episodes. <laughs> yeah, there is, yeah. Because once you get past the cool helicopters, there's naff all else here for yeah. 80s action fans. Um, I did actually, though, but because it's vehicles and because it's Blue Thunder, I did give this another six. Okay, because yeah, I, I think, think Blue Thunder is, is is a cool helicopter. So, in response, you know, it's got nothing in the way of stunts, but the cool the, the coolness of the helicopter, I think they're both as cool as each other. So I, that's why I gave them both a six. 
What about you? Okay. It, well, yes. The only vehicle to talk about is Blue Thunder itself, isn't it? Yeah. Now, I've always liked Blue Thunder, and I think I actually gave Blue Thunder the edge over Airwolf. Um, and I gave it the edge because it looks more like a military helicopter. It looks like an Apache gunship. Now, I, I have always, and I yeah. mean always, been fascinated by the Apache gunship. It fascinates me. Even to this day, they fascinate me. They're the most amazing aircraft. Um, you know, the, the fact that they the gun follows the pilot's vision when he looks around. So that, you know, and just there's just stuff about the yeah. Apache gunship yeah, that amazes that, yeah. me. And so... Because Blue Thunder is like an, it's like a, you know, a, someone's got a kit version of, a, of a, an Apache gunship and made their own at home. But it looks the part, and I think you you hit the nail on the head. It looks like what it is, a surveillance and sort of urban pacification type helicopter mm. with all of the surveillance kit on it. That makes sense. Um, Airwolf, don't get me wrong, I like, I like Airwolf as, for what it is in terms of that kind of, you know, it looks like a flying dolphin, you know, it's super sleek and everything else. Yeah. But its armaments always look lame. They always like no. Whereas with the you know the Apache gunship's got this enormous cannon on the front. You know, and you just know that that is going to do some serious destruction, and it does. So, and yes, if that's all you've got, and that's all that Blue Thunder has, it has Blue Thunder. But it is called Blue Thunder. It's about Blue Thunder, and I've always liked that helicopter. And even when it's emulated in video games later down the line, they never really Airwolf kind of doesn't lend itself to a good video game sprite. It just looks like a dolphin. Blue mm. Thunder always, helicopters always look like either Blue Thunder or the sort of gazelle helicopters that they have, have made into Blue Thunder. They always kind of look like that in TV shows. They're kind of bubble with the bit sticking out the back. So I really, really like Blue Thunder um, as a helicopter and as an armed sort of urban pacification. It's a, you know, it's a gung-ho crazy thing. Um, and it's really cool for that. So um, like you said, it doesn't maneuver around a lot. I'm guessing that's a limitation of what they've done to it. So if it actually was a really flying thing, which I think it was in terms of what they made, Mm. Then no wonder, because this thing was, they'd covered it in wood paneling, essentially, and doweling. <laughs> so this thing was basically a flying coffin. I mean, you want to get in that. And so, you know, so I, I feel for the guys that were in it, like, you want me to fly that? This thing's going to tip over. Because um, obviously they're designed to be super light. So um, I gave Blue Thunder a uh, a seven for its Ooh, design. Okay. So so um, interesting what that does, really, isn't it? So, you know, so it, it tips the scores, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. Blue Thunder is still trading behind a little bit with Airwolf at the moment. Mm. So, you know, vehicles and stunts, when they're one vehicle shows, when we just have to, you know, look at the it's one just, vehicle. It is what it is, yeah. Now, the next category is an important one, and it's important for many reasons, and I think we're going to know who's probably going to win this. But <laughs> it's yeah. over to you, Adrian, to discuss the music and sound effects, should they be any, of Airwolf.
Well, I think you'll probably be able to give. Mo- I I looked around for stuff on the technical makings of this, and I couldn't couldn't find much. But so I'm just going to talk generally about the music for it. So if we talk, Airwolf. I mean, let's just talk about the main theme, shall we? Because it's the main mm-hmm. theme. Yeah. Isn't it? It's what it is. It's music. It is. This was composed by former Yugoslavian, but now Serbian-born Sylvester Levey. He worked in Hollywood. Sylvester Levey is quite interesting. He worked in Hollywood from 1980 to 2000, uh, composed, composing music for films and TV. And some of those included arranging the Scarface um, uh, original soundtrack. He collaborated with Giorgio Moroder on Flashdance. Um, he did the music for Cobra, Mannequin, Howard the Duck. He composed additional music for Three O'Clock High, um, Hot Shots. He did loads of others. He's worked loads. You know, he's one of those Hollywood sort of composers that sort of jobbed around, and you'd recognise his themes if you probably heard them. Um, but I think whenever I, you know, I think when I looked through those scores, and I was like, oh, okay, I can kind of remember them. But it's, it's the, I think it's the theme to Airwolf that is probably the most memorable thing he ever did. Um, probably because of uh, we've heard it a lot, maybe. But you, if you hear something a lot, it's generally because it's pretty good. And I think this is up there with the great eighties themes of Night Rider, A Team, Heart to Heart, and so on. And I consider Heart to Heart one of the great eighties themes. I don't know what you say, but I do. Yeah, yeah. it's a great eighties yeah. theme. But and this is up there for it for different reasons. But it's it's up there. This is one of those that sticks. I try, like I said, I tried to find some inf- information or interview on the creation of it. I just came up blank. I couldn't find anything. There's a lot out there though, on that because it was. Um, in the 90s, there was a release of the Airwolf themes by Mark Kearns in collaboration with LeVay. They kind of like collated all the music and made this sort of CD, multi-CD thing of all the themes throughout it, and I, and I tried to find something on that. So, But talking about how it's introduced in the film, sorry, in the program, the main theme, it's introduced oddly into the pilot um, because the, the, way the, the way the show starts is really quite quiet. It starts really quietly with just some sort of sound effects and like synths. Just sort of in the background, we're in the desert. There's these shots of the desert, and there's a lizard, and they get these sort of sound, weird sort of just just sort of these deep synths. And there's not much. It's not weird. It's, it's almost like it's almost goth-like in its sort of soundscape. It's kind of a bit weird. Um, and then we start to get these shots of close-ups of uh, elements of Airwolf. So we get the air, air intakes, the rotor blades, the cannons, the guns, the missile. We get all these kind of shots and, the, you know, all bits and bobs. And this, this music starts to sort of build and this sort of thing. And then that bass line comes in. And you're like, oh, this is good. And then it sort of starts faintly, and then it just sort of builds and builds before building. And then the theme kicks in. No, 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 no. And everyone, and you're just like, oh, we're off. There we go. This is cool. And and there's a this weird. There's a lizard climbing on the wind wheel that falls to the floor. And then Airwolf just as this music sort of builds, the Airwolf rises into the air, like I said, looking straight at the camera. It's brilliantly done. It's brilliant. It's really well done. And it's like, oh, this sets the tone and theme and, and and sense of like, this is a, you've got this cool synth sounding, like we said about Night Ride, which is a bit dark. It's darker than this, but it gives it this kind of cool sort of futuristic feel. Um, we're looking at this kind of, you know, really smooth, sleek, like you said, dolphin-esque futuristic helicopter with this kind of, you know, this is 1984, 1983, was it 94? So this this sort of sleek, you know, this synth music, it's all very modern and very futuristic. It's all very, oh, this isn't really cool. Um, and I think that's very encapsulated vehicle um, in that show with those futuristic synths. It kind of gave it an eye, it gave it a, uh, you know, it gave the, the vehicle a soundtrack. It gave it a noise. So you didn't need to hear the noise of it flying. All you needed was that music to kick in. And the rest yeah, of the absolutely. pilot, 
um the rest of the pilot for music and, and it, it, the sound effects are just sound effects it's very diegetic the rest of the, apart from the rest of the pilot is really quite oddly minimalistic for music and it's really quiet mm. all those scenes in the cabin and stuff just dead quiet it's just dialogue so aside from hawk's cello which he's playing you know we hear that there's some <laughs> there's some there's a bit of quiet sort of tense music when in libya every now and again uh, when they're creeping around there's some comedy music at the hollywood park when they're flying the helicopter there's the disco music for the club it's all very much of its time and of its scene yeah, yeah, it's yeah, very yeah, much totally. like but the, i mean part of the hollywood part is played for laughs you know and stuff like the disco music is because they need some disco music from dancing there's really very little in the way of incidental music in this so the you know the horrible scenes towards the end when she's dying it's just very quiet it's just very matter of fact i find it quite a we- weird um so what this does is that when the main theme is used again we spoke about this earlier when hawk sees ven- which seeks vengeance on moffat when it, you know when he's like and he gets his eyes slightly closed and he's like and that music and he gets back in the helicopter and it's a dun, 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 and he's off it's like yeah this l- lends the added weight and importance and it's probably the best bit in the whole 90 minutes of this that's that bit when he gets into the helicopter and takes off and the music kicks in, I was like, oh, finally, finally. And it's that music. The music in this carries so much. And it, it gives does. this film, it gives this sort of TV show its identity and it's one of the reasons, if not the reason, that this program is remembered so fondly. Um, I don't think it's because of the plots. I don't think it's it maybe because people like the actors, but it's that theme tune. The theme is the star here. Like we said about others, Battlestar Galactica, we said about Knight Rider. Um, yeah. We say it about these when they have this great theme tune, it's like boom, you're instantly there and it works. Like a lot of TV shows at the time, it's stuck in your head. Many people, far more of the contents of the episodes ever did. As for sound effects, there's that weird screaming Ewok sound. I don't know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) What is that? (laughs) Rare Wolf as it flies. But aside from that, typical Foley sounds of the 80s, um, gunshots and stuff. There's nothing nothing sound wise, like (laughs) really sort of muffled. Airplane, you know, yeah. explosion sounds and stuff, yeah. and sort of gun sounds. Nothing stuck out for me, but for the theme alone and the way it's used, it's only used twice in the show. Yeah. It's right at the beginning and right at the end, but it's not used over the end. I'm not sure if it's used over the end credits, but it's used when it's used. It's used perfectly both the opening sequence and the end sequence. I gave this a nine because that theme tune is just so good. <laughs> so. I don't know the technical side of things I went hunting I just couldn't like we found stuff about other themes I just I, so I don't know what it was made on you might know but that's mm-hmm. that's my stuff on the music sound effects what about you I mean you probably might have so, more to say well you know, um, I mean uh, it is the star of this isn't it I mean it wasn't going to be Jan Michael Vincent was it um, <laughs> no. as soon as that I mean I remember I remember when I first heard it as well because um, it was completely different to a lot of other themes around at that time, Airwolf. Um, and Blue Thunder theme, in comparison, is a good example of almost why it sticks out like it does. So the Airwolf music, um, so from a technical point of view, that's it's it's partly composed. The drums are a Lindrum, of course, the drum machine of the 80s, so it's all on a Lindrum. Um, it's main bass and ostinato is from a Roland MSQ 700 sequencer, um, and that's basically fed through an OB-8, an Oberheim OB-8. So it, they're... they're and then there's a, another similar, apparently a French horn emulator or something. They're, they are the synths of the 80s of that time. Mm-hmm. So that, and that also s- sort of explains why it's very popular because it's using, you know, at that time, we're talking early 80s, synthesizers were quite new. Um, you know, if you think mm. of the TV yeah, exactly, things, yeah. things like Cagney and Lacey, you know, or any of those TV shows, you know, it's they're very much orchestrated. It's not trumpets in TV <laughs> things <laughs> yeah, in the US. Yeah. Those are trumpet sounds. 
So, you know, when you get this one, like with Knight Rider, which comes a little bit later, obviously, but with these, they stick out like a sore thumb because they're just synth. And everyone was quite fascinated by synthesizers back in the early 80s. You know, this isn't that long after Kraftwerk's revelations with things like um, the Man Machine and, and early mm. Kraftwerk stuff. And, you know, let's remember that um, the model was number one in the UK in the charts back way back in 1980, whatever it was. So the Airwolf theme comes along and, you, and you've got this fantastic, all these fantastic layered synthesized sounds. It sounds like nothing else. And it sets the tone for the, th- the future-based thematic of the show. It makes it feel more futuristic. It makes mm-hmm. Airwolf seem more futuristic. It's n- it feels like it's less about a helicopter doing helicopter stuff. And there's something futuristic and dangerous. And, you know, and, and when you see Dominic Santini and he sits in the sort of the, I guess you call it the back office of the helicopter, I don't even know what you call it, but the control center, if you like, with all those lights and switches, it's techno, it's that dark... Techno vibe, it's, and it's, then, it's going into science fiction almost. Yeah, well, it is, and so the music suits that kind of sci-fi tone. So you know, you've got a technical thing with technical, you know, digital music. Well, it plays into it perfectly, doesn't it? And the theme's got that really nice catch. It's really, it's got a really good hook. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's not, you know, it isn't going Airwolf, dun, dun, do, 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 Airwolf, dun, dun. is there anything like that? No, it's no, completely. It doesn't say doesn't say the word Airwolf. There's no v- weird voiceover, which you did get with Knight Rider. There's none of that. It's just and that Airwolf logo comes in. You're like, this is something else. It's very, very cool. Really good opening sequence as well to that music. Really good attract sequence. You know, even though it does always show the same footage of Dominic Santini running with a watering can and Jan Michael Vincent looking forlorn with his cello, but at the same time, it still kind of works in the cos in, in the science of it. So the music is astonishing. Now, just as a, a little note as an aside, so I gave it a nine as well. Um, because I think the Airwolf theme, you can't argue with it. It's an amazing, amazing theme. It's also been um, created multiple times on the Commodore 64 in tying into oh, yeah. our sister podcast. So there's loads of versions of, these games of Airwolf. There's loads of versions of the Airwolf theme. In fact, there was a demo competition where they put a competition out to make the Airwolf theme on the C64. Loads right. of entries for that. There's also a famous um, de- early demo that was on the CompuNet, which was of the Airwolf helicopter. And then there was like an image, I think it might have been by Dirty Den of the EastEnders, I think, EastEnders Cracker Crew back then. Anyway, so it captured something, a bit like the Equalizer did in that weird way. We'll, maybe we'll look at that one day, but captured something. So music's fascinating. Final piece there, I give it a nine. There's an amazing, I follow a really good um, YouTuber guy called Dr. Mix, and he's recreated the entire Airwolf theme using sort of synthesizers that he sort of knew were used. Um, and that's all on YouTube. We'll put links in the show notes for this. Go and watch that. It's three parts to it where he recreates the entire theme using all the different synthesizers. It's an amazing thing to watch because he's a very charismatic and incredibly talented guy. But he's also listening to it by ear and, and then talk, talking about the theme and how it works and why, why it sort of resonates with him. Definitely up there with the top themes of the 80s, isn't it? You know, if you were to pick a top 10, Airwolf would be in it, wouldn't it? So it's amazing. Nine, mm-hmm. definitely. Nine all the way. Nine. 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 Good stuff. Hey, top scores. Wow, that's you know, it's nearly a 10. I mean, that's not far off, you know, but it can never be a 10, really. I don't think it's perfect. No. no.
So that leads me to talk about Blue Thunder then. Well, <laughs> the somewhat <laughs> underwhelming music for Blue Thunder um, is created by a guy called Frank Denson, who's notably, well, more notably, notable for creating the music for TV for the TV shows TJ Hooker, um, Blossom, if you remember Blossom. Oh, God, right? yeah. yeah. And, and a, he did one single episode of Magnum P.I. called The Curse of the, Ki- the, Curse of the King, Cara, sorry, The Curse of the King, Kami Hamiha Club. One okay. episode. These which was say. an episode, oddly, it's not, it's really, written by, that episode was actually written by Donald P. Belisario. I think he was principally behind the Magnum P.I. thing, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, yeah, yeah. So, so there's little linkages there. The musical arrangement is very typical of its time and of this composer, it has to be said. Mm-hmm. An electric lead guitar leads the charge on the score with a repeated phrase. There's a nice kind of drum, bass, rolling low sound in the background that gives a kind of a helicopter engine kind of type effect that just sort of sits in the mid to low range of the mix. Rolls in with the snare as well. And there's this really weird sparkly synth. There's always a sparkly synth in these type of shows. And this one, thankfully, Airwolf didn't have it, but this one has that kind of sparkly synth. That sort of pad, that, it's sort of sparkly synth pad that fills the top of the frequencies, as does the lower bass sort of synth sounds, I suspect. So you've got this rich tapestry. It's still using synth instruments, but it, it doesn't use them for long enough. And it falls into the trap of having electric guitar. And then we get you know, trumpety sounds and then we're back to, you know, TJ Hooker type sound of sounds, really. Uh, um, I think, if anything, it sounds underwhelming and overwhiny, this, because of that electric guitar lead. Um, it doesn't quite work. The main phrase repeating for you, f- repeats for a few bars and then it does a slight change in its in its key. It's very reminiscent of the TJ Hooker music that does principally the same thing, albeit with trumpets and stabby, stabby trumpets. So that kind of, you know, that, um, that kind of tonality doesn't suit military helicopters. This would have been better with a kind of more military sounding sort of drum track, you know, A-team style. You know, maybe something like that, if they're going to do it like that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, And they've tried yeah. to make it into like a, they've themed it like it's a buddy cop, TJ Hooker type show, and it's not. And they yeah. haven't themed it like it's a military helicopter show because, you know, they, they didn't. So you end up with this weird hybrid that doesn't quite work. And they've obviously, someone's listened to Werewolf in the background and gone, oh, they're synthesizing that. I'll whack a couple of synth in there. So so the first movement or part of the music, uh, one of the once the electric guitar has kind of woo 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 in, at the end of it, you know, you get that. There's that first movement of the music, and then it changes to the second part, and the guitar ends it by going woo woo woo, like they, you know, like they do, uh-huh. um, and then it enters the end of the US TV show brass section yep. with all that trumpety brass stuff, you know, and that now that kind of you know you've heard it before, now if you think of that all of that kind of stuff. So it sort of crass mm-hmm. brass version of that main phrasing, it sort of brings it to a loud crescendo ending, like all TV shows of that time have, the big brass crescendo ending. That kind yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. In the background, it's kind of a rove, there's a roving weird analog synth, which sounds a bit like a theremin at that point as well. Sort of, in the background as well, it's weird. It's, yeah. it's short, mercifully. <laughs> um, it's not like the Airwolf theme, is it? It's kind of short. Punchy, very of its time and of its type. And like the TV show, it doesn't have a proper hook or a catch. And it's an attempt at something, maybe trying to capture sort of a daring, bold notion by the kind of the tonality and the and the the um, the sort of the uh, key that it's in. But it fails to ignite anything, doesn't it? it just doesn't capture you. It doesn't capture you in the same way the Airwolf one does. The music in the show itself follows a very standard US TV show template palette. Opening and closing of acts generally have an intro and outro, dun, 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 that kind of thing, yeah. um, or you know, like a brass crescendo, or as a comedy sort of comedy banter, <laughs> that kind of thing. You now it always has that, and someone will spill the coffee and go, 
<laughs> next scene and scene that kind of thing um so uh, very odd descriptions for me i don't only do that but uh, i'm just sort of emitting weird sounds um so they have that kind of odd soundscape when they need it the sinister conversations always have a brooding low synth what do you mean like that always like that um so now it's kind of cliched tv stuff they're not challenging anybody with this are they they're not pushing the boat out they're not doing lots of synthesized airwolf type stuff it's very by the book very safe not very interesting i couldn't find out much about frank denson at all seems like he worked a lot with mike post which kind of shows when you think about the way because clearly mike post stepped in at one point when you need more you need more trumpets at the end of that (laughs) (laughs) it's the end Um, of something it needs to go up and have a blast (laughs) (laughs) and so i'm wondering if maybe that frank denson was kind of an understudy or very close colleague they were both credited and awarded the 1993 bmi tv music award for the sound for the music for blossom they're both credited for that so they must have worked together pretty closely which sort of shows the opening music or the very opening of this does have an, or the opening of the show does have an extended intro with some quite nice synths. There's a like, nice arpeggiated and arp sawtooth sound in there that's got that helicopter driving type loop in the background, you know, when, when it very first starts mm. with some nice hovering pad sound effects sort of floating, gives the helicopter vibe, slight delay on the double hits percussion as well in there, gives it that kind of sort of sound that you get with Top Gun, that kind of vibe. That fits nicely with the sound of the actual helicopter in that very opening sequence where you see the sun sets and rise and blue thunder, you know, silhouetted against it, big sound effect. That really worked, that little bit. And then, of course, we descend into the trumpets and the people turning around and looking over their shoulders and we're back to, you know, Dynasty and all the other TV shows that this yeah. probably sort of, you know, leans into. It's because that's so, all from uh, the film. <laughs> yeah, completely. And had the, the, the that score stuck to those synth sounds of the beginning, that very first bit when it first starts, that would have elevated everything. Yes. But it can't, you know, they both, the director of this and the, the people that were involved in this all left um, Blue Thunder because of all of the interference from, this, from the studio at the time. They were just putting on, you can't do that, you can't have that, we can't have people blowing up, this is, helicopter's got to be this, it's got to be friendly, we can't have this in there, we can't have this in there, the music's got to be like this. And you can, you can hear that, you can hear the conversations that have taken place not because you can hear the voices, but because you can see and hear the output, which is just bland. Everything becomes bland. We know our demographic, our audience is like having trumpety sounds at the end of every act. You know, that's just the way it goes. You can't do that. Put a trumpety sound at the end of that act immediately or, or else. Dun, dun, that kind of thing. So, um, and also there's that annoying swish sound. Oh, that stupid swish sound at the start. No, starring Frank, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. And this happens. It's like, oh, just as soon as that happens, it's you're entering into that crappy kind of... Remember that in the film Robocop? Do you remember when he watches that t- that Robocop TV show and there's that... I can't even what he's called it. Right at the beginning, he's pretending to do like the... Is the pretending oh, to be yeah. the sort of the guy out of it and he spins his gun and everything else. And that's got that sound on it as well. Mm-hmm. No TV shows really use that apart from the, probably the execs, the ones, the execs, the you know, clearly sort of aging, you know, middle to middle-class executives that probably set all this up. So there's the swish sound because, you know, these TV shows need the swish sound when you're introducing your, when you're juicing your stars to the show. Now, what do you mean you haven't got a swish sound? Um, and so because of that, you know, the, the theme and everything else, just it's just mediocre um, at best, if not less than that. And of course, in, sound effects in it, well, machine gun sounds, explosions, but TV machine gun, Muffled. TV explosion, Muffled, and the same ones you've heard in every TV show up to this point. Yeah. So if there's, a gun, if there's guns going off, you'll have heard it in the A-Team. If explosions, you'll have heard it in all the others as well. Yeah, standard TV it's, foley, isn't it? Yeah, 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 exactly that, exactly that. So they're not challenging anything. There's no, no pushing the boat out. There's nothing exciting. I think it's very slight hints of something. And like you say, probably because it lent into the movie a bit, and the movie has that has more gravitas. 
Um, but all of that has been brought to heel by the TV executives with their expectations around demographics for the time slot because they know that at the end of every act, you need to have a good good trumpet. You know, <laughs> da, da, da. They know that. So I actually gave this a four because... Um, um, I didn't mm-hmm. think it was really up to standard. It's, it's, in fact, I, I could have argued for less. That's me being a bit kind, really, but I felt kind of bad because Abel was so good. I thought, well, you know, it does have that intro, so I'll give it a four, but what about you? Uh, yeah, it starts off going for that similar synthy vibe, but then loses it with that rubbish guitar-led main tune. I thought it was rubbish. <laughs> just, and then, it, and then it, after the guitar, the trumpet, it's like you said, the stabby, it's just, oh, what are they doing? They've just gone They've just gone into Cagney and Lacey, Quantum Leap, all those kind of tunes, you know. Yep. And it just doesn't work for this. It's immediately forgettable. No. Immediately. I couldn't remember. Yeah, if, you had said, if you said, can you hum the, I've watched it twice What? what today. <laughs> And once before that, and if you said, can you hum the theme blue theme tune to Blue Thunder? I'd go, no. I have watched the Blue Thunder film once this morning, and it goes, it's instantly fits. Yeah. It's got that sort of deep sort of synthy sort of menacing vibe to it, and it works. And the guy who did the film um, music was, uh, I can't remember his name actually now. Hang on a minute. Let me, uh, who was it? Uh, I can't remember his name, um, but he's done loads of stuff. He also did the film music for uh, War Games as well, so he worked with Badham right, on okay. that. And that's the thing: this the, the, this is immediately forgettable and just comes across as very boy's own story, light-hearted nonsense, um, yeah. which is such a world away from, like I said, the great film that theme the film had and what this Blue Thunder is supposed to be bloody well about. It's the problem yes. with this entire endeavor is that you've yep. ripped the the the, the message and the theme of the film just and all you've done is nick this has got the problem with this blue thunder i'll say it right here now it's got as much to do with the film as that video as the game has that we looked at recently on zap to the past which had yeah. just just a name it's yeah. nothing it's nothing to do with the film except for the helicopter no. i don't know maybe they didn't have the rights to use it i don't know maybe they didn't but they could have l- listened to it and gone we need something similar to that we need this it's a but obviously, like you said, the executives have, execs have gone in and gone, <laughs> trumpets, all the trumpets. And the other thing is the problem with this is that what <laughs> Airwolf doesn't do is this is it's another one of those examples where they tell you how to feel with the music. Yes, yes, yes. Airwolf do. doesn't do that. But to its no. credit, it's like, well, we're going to actually let the scripts and the acting and let that mm. you gain the emotion from how they're sort of acting with each other. That's quite a brave for a 19, early 1980s TV show, syndicated TV yeah. show. In this, it's like, well, no, they need to feel tense. Dun, dun, dun. They need to feel like <laughs> some, no, James Farantino's made a joke. It's like, <laughs> and it's, it's, that's how they do it, isn't it? They just, they, they, they lead your emotion by, well, the sound effect must, the, the, the Non-digestive music must tell you that. Rubbish. Yeah. Um, the sound effects, as you said, exactly what you'd expect. Except that really clear female voice when she's on the radio talking to him at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. It's like listening, it's like the listening to a radio. It's like, wow, it's like Stevie Nicks from The Fog. Or what it's not Stevie <laughs> Nicks, Stevie, Stevie Wayne from The Fog. And I was like, she's like, hey, you've got this thing and going around. I'm like, where's that coming from? That's don't, radios don't sound that clear. <laughs> When you talk to someone, other, <laughs> she was in the room just behind him with a little microphone. Yeah, well, they're in the hey, helicopter. Are you hearing there. it across the helicopter? It's supposed to be the helicopter Weird. sound. 
It's like the, 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 they obviously recorded it and then went, oh, we'll, we'll add some effects in post and then forgot. Yeah, forgot. <laughs> just forgot. Oh, get a voice on their shit. So Doesn't the music for this oddly ill-fitting, it's all very uplifting. It's, it's dead uplifting as that first helicopter is shot down as well and blown up. It's like, da, da, da. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like that's, that's hey. the problem with brass. That's the problem with those brass stabs like that. They just make everything sound kind of bright. And, uh, yeah. And it's not really. It's not meant to no, be like that, is it? I gave us a four as well. Yeah, deservedly so, I think. Ooh, it started reasonably average and it's gone down. It's going down. It really it's going is. down. But you know what? You were never going to really win a battle with the music, were you, with, with, with Airwolf? Come on. I mean, everyone remembers it. No, you were not. Yeah. Let's take a break. We'll have a break and we'll come back in a moment with some final parts to think about. Okay, well then, well, we say we've looked at the sound. Oh, we looked at the sound. What am I saying? We listened to the sound, didn't we? We, don't <laughs> no. look, we looked at the sound and we thought, why aren't we listening to that? <laughs> I don't know. Would have worked way better if we'd have listened instead of looked at that. Um, so, we've, you know, we've heard the, the, the sound. Airwolf kind of won the roots there. But what about how it looks? What about its cinematography? Well, I'll tell you a little bit about Airwolf's cinematography, shall I? Do it. The main guy behind the TV show um, was a guy called Howard Schwartz. Um, now, he's a veteran TV show cinematographer with well over 96 credits to his name dating back Oof. to influential U.S. shows like Have Gun, Will Travel in 1959, um, Rawhide, 1965, Batman, the 60s TV series, and the movie, you know, the, the 60s one, Land of the Giants in 1968, and even an episode of The Incredible Hulk TV series. Mm-hmm. So this guy's lit a lot of people and, and illuminated them and photog- photographed a lot of different scenarios, from a giant green man all the way through to a Batman. Now, he's, got, <laughs> he's covered everything. From, from chimpanzee to chimpanzee, he's done it all. Um, so, <laughs> cinematography for this. This let's t- let's start with the, the emphasis of Stringfellow Hawk in this show. He's seemingly shown as the tortured soul here. So, oftentimes depicted with dark clouds, a dark home, lots of dark wood paneling, and an odd art collection in a dark place. So, it's that's kind of the, and it's lit that way. The illumination, in the first part of this, is very dark. Generally, darkened scenes actually with Stringfellow Hawk. So he's clearly a character with t- chasing demons and he's got some demons in his life and those are exemplified. Now, normally I would say that this is probably, you know, that it hasn't been lit that way, but because of the veteran nature of the guy that did this and knowing that things like Land of the Giants are super technicolor and super bright and Batman, for example, you know that if he's making choices to, for something to be quite dark in this general cinematography of the episode, then it's there for a reason. It's done for, it is done for those cinema cinematography you know cinematic reasons mm-hmm. as much as you can so so the initial parts there you know yes he's sat on you know a cloudy fishing peg essentially playing songs to a bird um <laughs> no <laughs> to summarize it in a kind of a more northern way we've all been there we've all done it we've all been there i forgot forgot me fishing rod oh well i'll just play me cello then um <laughs> <laughs> anyway so like i said dark clouds dark panels his home is dark Stringfellow is is in the dark about everything. He doesn't know where his brother is. He doesn't know what's happening. He doesn't where he's not. He's not bothered about anything either, though. Don't know what day it um, is? Where his paintings exactly. are gone? <laughs> <laughs> and, even, and even inside Airwolf, it's it's even when they're inside Airwolf itself, it's still dark in there. He is even. I know it's that it's difficult to see because he's inside a helicopter, but there isn't a lot of illumination on him in the helicopter other than the window that he's in front of. He has a helmet down. The helmet is dark. There's a little tiny light on it. You don't see a lot of him. He even has sunglasses and a hat and all the time. He's always in the shade, is what I'm saying. He's a shady character, if you want a better description. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he's tonally, there's no contrast of him. So by contrast, Dom, Dominic Santini, 
is lit all the time really brightly. He's always bright. His personality is bright. He's illuminated. He's in a bright helicopter. He lands in a bright way in the bright sky, brings burgers and meat um, to uh, to Stringfellow's house so that he doesn't eat meat. He only eats fish. It's kind of a weird thing. And and is seemingly shocked that the woman's just living on vegetables and that she's there. <laughs> yeah. So, but he's always illuminated. So whenever you see Dominic, his character, and when he's when he is the focus of what's happening, everything's lighter. The helicopters are lighter. The journeys they're on are lighter. The illuminations around them are lighter. Um, and even and even when he's having conversations, when he's reminiscing with Stringfellow about because he obviously knew his father and was obviously in the kind of war with him and something. Um, when he's reminiscing, um, Dominic is kind of lit in a way that it illuminates his entire face. So you see a lot of Ernest Borgnine's face, um, whereas Stringfellow Hook is always kind of crunched down kind of hidden. And that's kind of the way it's illuminated. That's the, that's the lighting and illumination of this. Quite clever that it's done that way. And, and this it's a nice subtle effect. So so that's the people in it. Now, most of Airwolf combat is by daylight, which is unusual. Um, so because you, you think a lot of the cop-outs for a lot of these things can be, well, if we shoot it, Street Hulk did this a lot. If we shoot it in the dark, you know, we can get away with quite a lot because it's in the dark, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. get away with a bit of, you know, stuff. But everything in Airwolf, pr- principally, at least in this episode anyway, is mostly in the daylight, so it's showing off everything. I mean, it's stolen in broad daylight, and then it's re-stolen in broad daylight. Everything <laughs> happens in the daylight. No one's hiding around, are they? The nope. entire attack on the Libyan army is in broad daylight. Gabrielle is murdered in broad daylight, in the desert, in the brightest of lights. So super bright. Mm-hmm. Um, indeed, a, a capture scene, although that is in the dark when she's, you know, she's interrogated, her torture is, like I said, completely in the daylight, which is an interesting adjunct to the way that Stringfellow Hawk is illuminated because he's always in the dark. And she's murdered by this, you know, super all-powerful penetrating sunlight. So she's taken out and literally baked. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's quite, I think that's quite an interesting um, interplay with the way that it's photographed in that way. Because it is, you know, you're lighting very, it's very difficult to light things um, when you've got bright daylight. That's, that's what, some very difficult lighting conditions. And they probably have set up enormous illuminated lights to set that up. And I think, I could be mistaken, but I think Airwolf was shot on film because it was a, it was released as a film in the in some areas of Europe because um, mm, a lot of those well TV oh, those US pilots were weren't they, they were, over here we this one didn't but other there's other instances where they've been released as mini movies as such mm. so I suspect this was probably released in Germany um, as a as a movie or something like that so if it was shot on film that makes sense why the grainy footage of all the stock footage would look as grainy as it is because that's probably from some ancient film that they've hijacked in or, or chelly scene transferred <laughs> yeah. or whatever they've done. Um, so it means that if it's lit like a film, then these these choices and this tonality is actually quite stark. And at stark, and I think it does show. Now that said, um, the entire balance of the light is really kind of once it's in the light, that's it. So there isn't many dark scenes in it. Mostly, it's mostly lit in complete daylight, and everything happens. It's that really stupid scenes that happen in daylight, like when they go and climb up a wall and just waltz into a military base <laughs> in broad daylight. You know, he's even got sunglasses and a hat on. I mean, already, you know, the, you know, it's really bizarre. Um, so there's over-illumination, but that's all to make sure you see as much of the helicopter as possible because that's always illuminated that way. So, and then, so let's, so t- let's take a twist from the sort of the way that the lighting's done because the rest of it is kind of three-point standard lighting on people's faces. But the camera work is often... Very TV of the 80s here. So as much as the cinematography is taking chances, the camera work is not um, generally. Um, there's a lot of close-ups and zooms to reaction in this, or in the case of Jean-Michael Vincent, mm. no reaction whatsoever. So he's the, he's the man who reacts to nothing, you know, yeah. which is odd. <laughs> yes. you know, yeah. So, so I, I imagine every time they zoomed into his face, it was disappointing because they're like, here we go. His girlfriend's died. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. He's like, 
no reaction. One single tear. He's a single tear guy. Oh, <laughs> Christ, come on, Jan. And apparently he slowly works his way into alcoholism through the entire series of Airwolf. He does, you know that. yeah. So, I read that, yeah. So, he gets red. So by, by the time he's getting, yeah, so you're actually watching somebody develop alcoholism during that show, which is interesting. So the interplay between Stringfellow and Gabriel is strangely lit, I have to say. Their romance, such as it is, is generally close up, quite claustrophobic, and almost no light. It's lit by candle or fi- uh, firelight, but not in a romantic way, because he's always just rebutting her and turning her away, um, or talking about fish or something weird. So it's it's really strange. And it, I can only thing I can note is that when their relationship blooms, which is odd when it's a discussion over a fish, anyway, um, it's all well lit. They're outside. They're on a boat. It's all daylight. You know, he's coming out of the light. He's coming out of the dark into the light. Um, and so, and he's feeling lighter. And then, of course. As soon as she gets killed in the light, you know, he's back in his little dark hole again, isn't he? Yeah. Because he goes back to his house, his, light, his paintings are back, it's all very dark again. So, and even when String is playing the sort of cello to the eagle, it's kind of in, in that respect as well. So, you know, it's, it doesn't feel like he's, you know, he's illuminated and the camera work is kind of very close. It's odd as well, the way it's, way it's filmed for him playing the cello, it's clear that he's not really playing what is known to being hit. So it's just oh, him no. making cello positions, which is weird. <laughs> and looking, but he doesn't look like he's enjoying it because he looks like he enjoys anything. Um, no. So anyway, so the, the daylight attacks of Airwolf, the French fighter jet, the US naval warship and all of that, they're on the daytime, but there is a dark techno interior of Airwolf that gives it that kind of 80s mystery. You know, you get the sound effect, you know, that kind of weird sound effects and all of that. But there, it does have, it's the same as the interior of Knight Rider. It's just kind of over dark, but illuminate, so you're illuminated by the technology, by the buttons and the lights of the tech. It's not, and I noticed, by the way, which is the stupidest control system of all time, that the on switch for the lights is in the bottom of D- Dominic's chair. So when he sits down on the chair in Airwolf, <laughs> the lights come on. I imagine if he stands up to go for, you know, just to stretch his legs or just so that all the lights go off and the helicopter plummets towards the ground. He's like, oh, crap. <laughs> for God's sake, Dom, don't stand up in there. That's like, that's the bloody on switch and the off switch for everything. Um, so um, there's a nice scene in there um, where Dominic, um, after they both kind of casually walk into the base to steal Wolf, there is a nice scene where um, he enters Airwolf and he sort of sits in the controls for the first time. And I know it's daft where he goes, where's the on switch? Oh, there it is. But there is a nice sequence there when it's the, mystery, the mystery of it all and the lighting and there's the, 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 the way the helmets have got that kind of little square target square on. There's a little bit of tech mystery about that, tech noir. 80s tech noir I quite like about things like that. I like Terminator film for the same reason. Just a like, you know, mysterious views of technology that don't make sense in that context. Because mm-hmm. I didn't know what it looked like out of a, to be a helicopter pilot. So, you know, it's, I imagine it's pretty techy. Um, so as we find with often with these shows, the lighting and the camera equipment dictate the exact look. Outside of the crappy grainy stock footage, there's some nice touches in there, some nice hints. There is a definite professional cinematographer at hand. And it shows um, in the way that he's tried to do some proper storytelling with the photography but you are limited to what you can do with actors like Jan Michael Vincent, who doesn't act very good, or Dominic Santini, who is, they're all, like you said, they're all one-note actors. They all have, there's no tonality to them. You know, you've got mm-hmm. one guy, I know it's, you've got to illuminate a guy who's in a pure white suit. Well, that limits you <laughs> to what you can put on him because you can't put any other light other than bright on him. Otherwise, he'd, you know, he'd turn purple or green or whatever color you shine on him. So, yeah. you know, so, you've, so that limits what you can do. But that, there is the tonality of, and the cinematography is a reflection of the tonality of the characters at the very least. And I think they've tried to capture that. I, and I picked that up from it. I don't know if you did, but I, I picked that up. And I thought, because of that effort, I gave Airwolf uh, a seven for that. What about you? Fair enough. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think the opening shots are very well for a nice intro to the show. So from a cinema, I like those sort of, they work well, well, well coupled with the music. So there's that nice mystery of, well, what is this? Mm. And you've got those sort of close-ups and it's like, it's almost like, um, uh, whose house is this? It's almost like, uh, you, know, you know, through the keyhole or something. You know, what, yeah. what is this? Or, or from Question yeah. of Sport, when they used to film uh, sports people Draws with like in, up yeah. the nose and stuff and like, yeah, you know, who is this? What is this? <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Um, but um, but uh, I thought that was good. There's some interesting silhouette work in the nightclub bits, as much as dodgy as they are sort of thing, when yeah. she's dancing against the light. There's like, you, yeah. they're doing that. You don't know who, you're not supposed to know it. Is. You clearly you know who it's going to be, but they film it in such a way as to give you that big, big 80s backlight. Um, yes. And then there's the silhouette yes. of a dancing, which is kind of cool. That's quite nice as well. Um, and there's an, and I said, there's a, there's an, there's attempts to create mood and atmosphere in Hawk's cabin with the lighting, um, like what you picked up on. And I think that's, that, that it's clear they've tried to do some stuff with not yeah. just leaving it as blank and stuff. So the desert shots are nice enough, as well as some nice sort of big open desert yeah. shots. Quite yeah. like them. Um, the helicopter's pretty much always shown well with some interesting angles from time to time. It's a product of its time um, with some of the stock footage and things like that. But, I, you know, I give it a six. It's not as cheap okay. as Blue Thunder, just to give you a heads up. It doesn't feel as cheap as Blue Thunder does. Um, no, no, it so does not. I, I, I gave it a decent six. I think there's there's an attempt to do something with it, but I think it is let down by those stock footage parts. And some of the speeded up moments, I, don't, I just yeah, can't yeah, do yeah, with yeah. speeded up bits. I, no, they just make it look cheap and, and horrible. It's yeah. Just leave it alone. Just don't yeah. do that. So I gave it a six. I, I think it looks it okay. looks okay. It's fine for TV. It's fine for TV. Yeah, of yeah. that time, yeah, absolutely. And, and so to Blue Thunder then. Which is not fine for TV. <laughs> <laughs> the, best, the best shots here are from the film. I mean, yeah, no a lot, a, a lot, I mean, a lot of this is it's like that opening shot of Blue Thunder flying in front of the sun. It's directly out of the film, um, yeah. and it's like you know, because how the it's how Blue Thunder appears in the film when because they, they they that scene that that scene at the bit where it blows up the small town is almost identical. To, you know, they go to that t- stand in the middle, but it's Roy Scheider and that lot and Warren Oates, and yeah, in this it's Bubba and Ski. Um, <laughs> It's just stupid, and this and that, again that long shot of the helicopter and it's speed weirdly speeded up and it's clearly obvious because the army personnel on the ground are like walking like ridiculous. It just makes it look stupid and cheap. Ah, uh, but once you pass that, um, it's it. I mean, I didn't, I couldn't pick anything. This clearly basic eighties TV setup, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's totally. really. It was directed by Gilbert M. Shilton. Um, he had worked on an episode of Magnum PI and three episodes of the A Team. Uh, that shows, doesn't it? Yeah. So that that was it. So this is it. The cinematographer was Andrew Jackson. Now Andrew Jackson had worked on quite a lot. He was a stalwart of American TV shows, going all the way back to the late sixties. He'd worked an episode of, but I mean, I don't know if you know Dragnet, nineteen sixty-seven, Streets of San Francisco, Mash, Rockford Files, yeah, things they like have that. A look, belt. They have a they look. They do. They have a look. This though, maybe not so much. We've got lots mm. of mid shots. And lots of shot yeah. reverse shot conversations going on. Yeah. It's bog standard. Put the camera down, get it filmed. You yeah. know, we're not spending a lot of money on this. Job in. <laughs> One yeah. take and it's in the can and we're yep. off. Reset. Aside from aside from where but it it does off it just feel the need to cut to Farantino delivering a snappy rejoinder whenever he does. Yeah. Whenever he's walking away, it's like a close up <laughs> turning it's almost turning around going, Hey, only when I don't want to. <laughs> Or something like whatever he says. <laughs> whatever his, catch, his catchphrase is crap, isn't it? He goes, uh, we, we'll see I twine. I'll always do what you tell me to do. Walk away. Turn around. Except when I don't. 
Hey, yeah, it's I can't a remember what it is. Phrase. It's shit. Did it, is it me or did he? Did you remind? Did he remind you of like a crap love joy? I don't know why I just had a love. <laughs> gave me love joy vibes. I don't know why. No one wants that. It was just rubbish. <laughs> I mean, Farantino is quite good in. Um, I always remember him from uh, Dead, Dead and Buried. Oh yeah, I've got um, him in that. Yeah, he's the sheriff, isn't he? He's the sheriff at the centre yes, of Dead and Buried. He's the one yes, trying to figure is, it yeah. all out, and he's actually pretty good That's in right. that. And he is—he's an okay leading man. He's all right. He's—he's he's yeah, not eighty. He's yeah. B tier lead man, but does this this program does him no favors, none. No. Um, I, I seem to like interior seems to be basic three point lighting setups. They're just yeah, just light, light, light yeah. <laughs> We don't yeah. do, we're not trying to go for atmosphere. Just light it. Uh, the cutaways yeah. for the interiors of PVC in his plane or the cockpit of Blue Thunder don't convince in any way that they are actually no flying attempt. anything. They're just no. like that's there's no attempt to actually make it. That bits of PVC when he's just he's just sat up against the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a bad helmet on. Yeah, <laughs> it's like what's going on here? Um, some of the plane shots and the wide angle plane shots and helicopter shots when they're out in the sort of sticks they're okay there's not some bad some there's some okay stuff so they're sort of the shots of those are all right i've got a feeling they're they're just like just go out with the helicopter and film some planes flying around and yeah. and just see what we get okay fine um but on the whole there's not a lot here to get the blood or interest pumping it's all filmed in bright daylight again as you said for airwolf but this actually works against this this yeah. is a helicopter designed for surveillance and subterfuge i mean this with a bit of thought You'd have got a lot. You'd have got a lot more bang for your book here if you did this at night with this one. I can't yes, help but feel absolutely. Yeah, Airwolf. Yeah. Airwolf is like daylight helicopter. This is a nighttime helicopter. And it does yeah, a lot. There's absolutely. a lot. I mean, this one of the, it's the weaker half of the film because the film at the end is all daylight stuff and it doesn't work quite as well. Mm. But it, when it's filmed at night and it's around the place and it's yeah. like prowling and stuff and it's like it looks cool. But but mm. and I thought if you'd have done that here, like you did with Street Hawk, it would have covered a multitude of sins. And you just filmed them with a bit of light on them within the within their um you know within the cockpit. You'd have got away with loads more, and it looked a bit cooler. You could have just had the helicopter just lit up slightly, but they didn't do any yeah. of that. There's none of that here. It's a for me. I gave it a flat four. But yeah, yeah, no, I can see that. I can see that. I mean, there's nothing exciting. There's nothing exciting about it. Nothing. No, nothing. I mean, they, and they've, and exactly as you say, there's opportunities where you could have illuminated it to your advantage because. You know, right at the beginning, they show that it can look really menacing with the right lighting and the right backdrop. So when it's rising out in front of a sunset and stuff, okay, yes, it's from the movie, but it sets the tone immediately. That silhouette is unusual. Yeah. You no, know, Air- Airwolf Rising will just look like a, hel- a helicopter that you might draw as a kid. Yeah. You no, know, it's probably a drill. But the because it's Apache gunship shaped, it looks kind of military. There's bits sticking out and there's weird technologies bolted on. And, and mm. that's, you know, that's what they look like. And so it's an unusual silhouette. And even now when you look at Apache gunships, if you look at them online and look at pictures, they have a really, you know, they look they look like a very dangerous thing. You know, you look at it and you think, no, nah, I don't want to mess with that. No, I don't want any of those near me, you know, ever. Mm-hmm. So you can illuminate that. You don't need to try hard to make that look like something that's pretty, you know, something you don't want to mess with. But, you know, putting in situations where that isn't going to be the case, what you end up with is just looking at something, you know, hovering. And you don't really see it that often. So when you do see it, when you do see it moving around, it looks pretty cool. But there's not enough of that to make it interesting enough. So you just end up, you know, it's end up with them. Their view of the cockpit of them inside is really lame. It's clearly not a cockpit of anything. No, um, and it's just and it's not very good. And then the same with, I mean, the aeroplane is just ridiculous. So um, the one thing this is about is the helicopter. Okay, and they've not done a great job with that. So then take that away. What are you left to with with a t the cop the buddy cop show TV drama, a crap one at that that isn't very funny. With two yeah. idiots in it, um, and yeah. that, you know, and two American footballers in it. So, what do you do with that? Yeah, the only moment of like 
interest was when the in the underground car park towards the end, and it's lit a bit darker. Yeah. And there's the trying to sort of he's, he's doing those things in it to sort of work out some trajectory or something, some stupid sort of yes. computer nonsense. Yeah. But the way that's yeah. kind of lit is a little bit different. There's a bit of you know, it's not three point. It's just the, illuminated from yeah. the screen, and there's a bit more. Yeah. Inter- that's that in and of itself is a more interesting scene. It's gibberish. It's computer gibberish, but it's more interesting to watch because it has a bit of tonality to it and a bit of lighting and a bit of thought. But the rest of it, yeah. like that gym sequence, is just like it's, it's just. <laughs> And, yeah. and is it me or are all police departments in the eight, early 80s in the US just beige? There's so much beige. <laughs> well, it's like ironically, the most beige department. <laughs> ironically, I was just looking. I mean, it's not this, but um, just as, a, as an aside, we were talking about sort of cinematography and, and sets and all that kind of thing like that. Um, there's a note on IMDb that uh, the computer keyboard used in Archangel's office is a Commodore 8 bit computer. Of either, it's either a VIC 20 or a 64 model, but you can't I quite notice it, the be. difference. And you had said about the whether it's shown in Germany, it was. Stringfellow Hawk's name was changed to Huckleberry Hawk. There you go. <laughs> it's not quite as menacing, is it? That <laughs> Huckleberry um, Hawk. No, it's not. <laughs> anyway, but so, back so, to cinematography. Well, so there's, yeah, the, so it's photographed like a like a TJ Hooker was. Yeah, it's, it's flat. Like it's flat. Yeah, it's, there's no there's no attempt to really to make any tonal. I mean, you've got two people at opposite ends of the you know the, the justice spectrum. So one's all gung ho, the other one is all by the book. So and they but there's no tonality difference in the way they're lit. They're just the whole the environment is lit and you're in it. There's yeah. no they don't really care about that. And they don't add any kind of any kind of dynamic lighting to it either. So because there's no characters in it that are interesting to light, none. Nope. So so the only character that is interesting is the baddie, and even he's not. But you know, he's. I mean, he walks in parts of bomb in broad daylight, and then hides around a corner with a rocket launcher in, in broad daylight, and he's just flat. It's just lit flat. There's no attempt to make him more menacing. There's no attempt. And even when he's in that aircraft at the end, which is really stupid, he just gets all sweaty and. He looks uncomfortable, actually. He looks like he's been crammed into a to a sort of a, a metal locker with an helmet on his head. Right, sit there. We'll film you in there. He's like, it's really awkward. He's scrunched his neck down. He's like, ugh. <laughs> it just so looks really all scenes in one go, and you're done, and you're out. You can bog off. And it. you're out. You can be off. But my neck's never going to be the same. This helmet hurts. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so I actually gave Blue Thunder a three because oh. I think it's just it's not lit for fun and games, is it? So no. what, what, what did you give it? You gave it a. I gave it a four, which I'll stick Ooh. with. Yeah, it's, it's not doing so great, is it? It's not, no. it, but it's because it's not exciting. They've not. There's no attempts in Blue Thunder to illuminate the helicopter in a way that would make sense for that kind of surveillance helicopter yeah. notion and super armament, or to make take advantage of its silhouette of crazy. Now, what is that yeah. thing? I mean, because you don't I, do that. What's left? Yeah, What's the left? reason I gave it a four was because it's got shots in from the film, and as they're yeah, part yeah, yeah. of the no, aesthetic that. whole, that's why I was like that opening shot yeah, no, in front of the that. sun. That's yep. great, but it's yep. the film. <laughs> the rest of it's no, rubbish. No, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, I've given it a three because of that scene. The rest of it is just, I've seen it in loads of other, I've seen it in every other cop show that I've ever seen and it isn't even a very good version of that. No. no. Oh dear, God, Blue Thunder. You're right, it's definitely in the blues, isn't it, with this one? Goodness. Absolutely. Well, we're cruising now towards our very final thing uh, before we sort of do the, you know, the recce. Um, and this is really the final, the one we do for all of our, Battle of the Pilots is where we look at the reception and influence of the show, such as it is. Now, one of these shows is quite influential in its own way. One of them, maybe not so much. Um, and I'll briefly go through the reception influence of Blue Thunder um, mm-hmm. and sort of give you the, give you the lowdown of, you know, of its amazing 11-episode run and the <laughs> crazy influence that had. So 
the Blue Thunder is a tale of two things, isn't it? As we said right at the start, on the one hand, Blue Thunder, the movie, very well received. John Badham, very talented director, loads of good stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Then there's a TV show, 11 episodes and cancelled. This achieved a Nielsen rank of 60. I'll put a link in the show notes of how you can work out the Nielsen rank. But to give you some kind of perspective, Friends TV show, at its lowest ever rating, had a Nielsen rank of eight with 25 million viewers. So to have a Nielsen rank of 60 tells me that there weren't a lot of people watching this. Oh, what's so the higher <laughs> it is, the worse it is? No, the lower it is, the better. Yeah, so the higher it is, yeah. So so a, a Nielsen rank of eight is, you know, one would be the supreme. And Friends did have a Nielsen ranking of one, so, you know, millions of people watching it. All right, yeah, yeah. But a Nielsen rank of 60, that ain't good. <laughs> God. <laughs> so it didn't start off so well. So it wasn't watched by a lot of folk. No wonder, really. They were all watching Dallas. And I couldn't find yeah. out what TV show it replaced mid-season, so unless it was just a mid-season change. Um, no, it was something, also was, the, no, something was cancelled. I found something was cancelled. Blue Thunder was also halted twice. It was halted for one, I think, the Winter Olympics, and then halted for the Summer Olympics. So there was just, even though it had 11 episodes, there was just enormous gaps when it was shown. So people yeah. just probably forgot about it. So yeah, you know, they, they, nobody was really thinking about it. The film was quite successful. Um, so you'd think this, that would have been a really solid basis for a TV show, wouldn't it? So, you know, we have to ask ourselves, well, what went wrong? Well, firstly and importantly, the star of this was the helicopter in some ways, I guess, but it was outgunned and outplayed by Airwolf at that exact time that both looked and sounded better. I mean, it did. And I'm not, that's not, obviously, I'm not jumping the gun in terms of our interpretation. I'm talking about the audiences of that time. So the audience of the time just liked Airwolf better. Simple as that. You know, that's why Elise was cancelled after 11 episodes and there was 50-odd for Airwolf. So yeah, it just, yeah. you know, and... And this actually went out and was aired just slightly before Airwolf as well. Not much before, but, but you know, it, before, and then people saw this. So I think people would have looked at this and gone, oh, it's, it's all right. And then they'd have seen Airwolf and gone, wow. Yeah. If that had been the other way around, maybe that would have been a different, would have played a little no, differently. But, you know, but, it <laughs> but it was just like I said, it was outgunned and outplayed and everything else. Um, and of course, you know, it not did it look and sound better, but I think people found it, um, Blue Thunder less compelling because its story was kind of nonsensical. If you'd seen the movie and then you'd seen this, it wouldn't make any sense no. because the movie thematically is completely the opposite of the Blue Thunder TV show. So you'd have watched one guy blow up Blue Thunder in the film uh, because he didn't want it to fall into the wrong hands because it was too powerful and in the wrong hands. And he was a Vietnam veteran, PTSD, a whole backstory, you know, and there's a, that ties into that whole 80s thing. I'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, that's, that's who he was in the film. And so he wasn't going to allow, he didn't trust authority. So you can't trust the authorities. You can't put something that powerful in their hands. They'll do something bad with it. But in the TV show, it's like, yeah, we want to do something bad with it. You know, we've got a rogue guy. He's wants to blow people up with it. All right, well, it is very powerful. Give it to the police force and let them do what they want with it. It's like, hang on a minute. Yep. So, so a key issue then is the attempt to take the film's core thematic, the troubled life of the Vietnam veteran and that distrust of the military complex and authority and make that into a TV show that is compelling. Now, that's a, it is a common 80s theme, and there's a bunch of TV and films where it's explored. First Blood, Missing in Action, The A-Team, stuff like that. Add that to the, you know, that 80s technophere, computers, gadgets, the US military, the weird science fiction blending of, of Reagan's era at that time, um, and, you know, Star Wars is going to be real, and all that kind of, of sort of, you know, bullshit talk that was out at that time. Um, and the, these super vehicle TV dramas do start to emerge out of that melting pot, and, and that's not a bad thing. You know, sometimes it's good that these... There's some interesting things. You you know, they're exploring what technology might become, and this it's all science fiction, really, at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But to try and homogenize all of that into some kind of mainstream TV show, um, I suppose you could say it's achievable if you do it right, if it's done in the right way, if you've got the if you've got the right idea. The A Team is about four Vietnam veterans who you know are trying to right wrongs, and there's a lot of writing wrongs shows in the US. Mm -hmm. um, but and Blue Thunder could have been that, 
But it would really, that would be Airwolf because Airwolf's almost about that, but not quite as well. So it's awkward with Blue Thunder because the central premise is at odds with itself. It doesn't know where to sit. So Frank's fear in the Blue Thunder film is of this super destructive technology, like I say, falling into the wrong hands. Um, and there's this sort of idea of, you know, um, a conspiracy to utilize the destructive firepower outside of a purpose it's created for. Again, it all ties into that kind of, you know, um, notion of surveillance and problems with that and the civil disobedience, but it's turned on its head for the TV show. I don't know how palatable people would have found that. I don't know what makes it okay on TV, but not in film. I'd, I'd think that people would have spotted that. And then of course the Olympics steps in um, and you, of course then you've got the something that the Olympics and there's all the reverie and happiness of the 1984 Olympics, which is, which was a big Olympics for the U S wasn't it? It was massive. It was the Los Angeles Olympics thing. Uh, well, yeah, the summer Olympics. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, in, yeah. 1980, in 1984. So, to then have a TV show on about a helicopter that was principally in, the, you know, it was built for the film to for this kind of urban pacification surveillance of the nineteen eighty four Summer Olympics. That's what it's mentioned for. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So to th- to then show that helicopter being able to blow anything it likes up, kind of would have put people. I think would have been thinking, hang on a minute, this doesn't. It, it would have felt totally wrong. It's, it's unusual to use something like an Apache gunship for that purpose, I suppose, as well. So you know that also <laughs> yeah. is a bit odd. You know, if you're going to you know have somebody with a helicopter going, please disperse. You know. You, you, it's one version of that with like a little helicopter with a policeman with this thing and then there's another version with an Apache gunship there and people are going <laughs> to run from that and scream in fear aren't they so, you, know, okay. you don't really do that um, so Frank sees the bigger dangerous scope for Blue Thunder doesn't he that, I think that's the you know and that, that idea in the film but of course that's completely missing in the TV show so it's reception I think is principally based on that confusion nobody really knew what to make of it because Blue Thunder wasn't about the helicopter being the hero. Blue Thunder was about a helicopter being utilized in a nefarious way and that it's a power that you must get rid of because you can't. it can't be controlled once it's unleashed. He even says in the film, doesn't he, with that many Blue Thunders, you could take over the world kind of thing. You know, what's mm. to stop you? Um, and that's kind of the same And then, so to have it then submit, so I have this submit, subverted so that the police can use it for arbitrary murder seems, you know, seems at odds with the general idea of, of it being a happy show, really. The TV mm. shows at that time didn't work that way, I don't think. The principal focus of the show becomes the destructive power of the helicopter and how Frank and his rogue revenge-like personality can use this to right wrongs that he believes are there. That's morally at odds with the film in that regard, and it's perfectly highlighted when a scene of Blue Thunder destroying loads of stuff is shown in the film as a negative and in the TV show it's a positive. You know, it's, this is great. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is amazing what that thing can do. Whereas in the film, it's like, oh my God, that's what it can do? So, um, you know, it's, it's the same scene played very differently and it doesn't work outside of that. The main character of Frank was, as, as we've said, James Farantino. It had been relatively familiar to US audiences, wouldn't he, as Nick Tosca, Dr. Nick Toscani and Dynasty. Yeah. He was, apparently, he was, apparently he had it in for Blake Carrington. Um, yeah. But he was never going to be mm-hmm. as well-received as Roy Scheider, was he? So he's no Roy Scheider. No. no. And his interplay with his co-pilot in the TV series is just stupid jokes and silliness which is not how it's done in the TV, in the film. And I think he's killed in the film, his, his co-pilot. Uh, yes, yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. But all these TV techno shows had to have a psychic. Street Orc, Knight Rider, Airwolf, they've all got them. But interestingly, Airwolf is not played that way. It's not, he's, not, he's a friend of the family, as you like. He's not, he's not trying to be the jokey psychic. He comes out with anecdotes, but it's, you know, it, 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 Jan Michael Vincent, you never know whether he's expressing anything, but he doesn't like he enjoys that. <laughs> the bit where he tells so, him like joking, the culprit, he's just, is he laughing? Just, I don't know, he's just flat and then he sort of just, heh, face and that's it. It's like, wow, that's all the reaction you're getting. <laughs> um, some of the actors in Blue Thunder have done the rounds before, of course. Richard Lynch, principally, you know, he's been the bad yeah, in yeah. everything. And I think a couple of those guys have turned up in other things. Obviously the guys in Police Academy. Yeah. Um, he's also the other guys, the other guy was in um, Battlestar Galactica. 
plays a character in that. So they've, they've popped up all over the shop. Mm-hmm. Generally, they're all pretty forgettable though, aren't they? So nobody's going to remember it for its great performance by you know Frank, whatever his name was, Frank Farantino. No, this James isn't going Farantino, in the annals of... Yeah. Yeah do, you remember, sorry, yeah, do you remember when, do you remember that amazing show with James Farantino? No, nobody's ever said that. Nobody's going to say it. Yeah. Um, and it's, so it's because that's all pretty forgettable. It's also then full of terrible cliche. So angry police captain slash commander, jokey sidekick, senior official with some government agency that seemingly has no rank, no military place, but you don't know what they do anyway. You know, military guy who turns up in the uniform and says, we, we'll, we're working with the military. You know, they're working with the military because there's a guy in a green suit with a, with a peak cap. Um, there's obviously a comic relief. There's obviously a weird femme fatale. I think it doesn't, I don't know if it comes in later into Blue Thunder. There isn't a femme fatale really in the TV pilot. It's all by the book, all pretty non-threatening, more A-team than anything else, but it doesn't have the camaraderie of the A-team. You haven't got an A-team. You've got nobody there that talks to you. And you've got no characters, no big characters. For this to have had proper true reception in the 80s, it needed to have a really good theme. You needed to have really good characters and they needed to have a decent backstory and do stuff together. That's mm-hmm. how they all work, all of them. And even if that character is a t- talking car, you need to have that because you've got to have it. Because Dana Carvey is a likable guy, but he's just not very interesting, it suffers the same problem, weirdly, that Street Hawk suffered from. The unlikable main characters and that stupid um, auto man. <laughs> unlikable main characters means that nobody's going to like it. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing you can do about that. If you've got the wrong people in there, the rest of it's all moot, isn't it? So the reception of this at the time was flat as a pancake. Nobody really liked it. It was, wasn't, and it's, and also because it's only got 11 episodes, it wasn't widely syndicated and at all and never has been. It's out on DVD and there's been, you know, occasional threats and you can get the movie, of course. Um, and there's been talk of remaking the movie for a while, but it's never actually happened. I think Sony were the last people making noises about that. Um, and maybe a repeat of the TV show, but no, for the same reason, really, that these, none of these things, Airwolf's never going to get rebooted um, they tried it briefly with Knight Rider, didn't they? And it doesn't just it doesn't work anymore because they're, they're of their time. Yeah. Now the, mm-hmm. the techno wonder that happened at that time can't happen now because in reality, now this is we're in a world of cyber attacks, drones, long range missiles, and rockets. You know, you don't need a Knight Rider or an, an Airwolf. We've still got Apache gunships, but that's because they can tactically take out tanks from two and a half miles away. They don't even need to be near anything. So you know that doesn't make for you know, massively interesting urban pacification when a, a gunship just appears two miles away and takes out the bad guy from using some kind of fancy well, radar. Drones, isn't it? No, just yeah, drones. all drones. Yeah. So, so can you imagine a drone version of Blue Thunder? <laughs> How uninteresting mm. would that be? Just a guy flying a drone. Yeah. You got them? Yeah, we got it. Yeah, and ironically, da, da, da. One, one of the <laughs> one of the closest kind of sort of things that was closest to this that I saw recently, um, and it's not very good and it never followed through on it for the rest of the film, but was the start of the remake of Robocop, which yeah. goes down <laughs> the same route of like utilizing sort of military. I mean, Robocop itself is utilizing military hardware for urban pacification, but the remake was specifically targeted around sort of drone foot drones and stuff, wasn't it? And starts mm, that way. Yes, and I thought was, oh, that's yeah. be quite interesting. And then, then does does nothing with it. It does nothing no. with it. That film, no. which is a shame, but similar similar kind of thing. I suppose RoboCop is a is a, is in the same ballpark, isn't it? Really, absolutely. So the only thing really that's ever resonated out of Blue Thunder is the Blue Thunder, the helicopter, and that's probably because of the film. Really, yeah. the TV show just came and it went. It died a death. It didn't add anything to the canon. It didn't live long enough to make anything interesting happen. People do remember it, but I think they I think they remember the film more than they remember the TV show. Because I couldn't tell you anything about what happens in that TV show. And I've looked through the episode guide and it's just nothing happens. Yeah. You know, someone gets into a sticky situation, Blue Thunder hovers into view and then, you know, films him doing something from two miles. And it's just that. Nothing exciting is going to happen there. There's no way you can go with it. 
Um, so that's that's the, the, its influence is minimal. It hasn't really influenced anything. Um, it's there's nothing for it to influence. The people in it never went on to anything really greater after that. Um, so you know Dana Carvey ended up in Wayne's World. You know it's not a natural progression from Blue Thunder. No, um, and he went to Saturday Night Live, and you yeah. know, and he is a really funny guy. But um, you know, it's it's just nice. I think he must look at this as a kind of one of his early pilots and think maybe it could have been something, but nah. So um, the reception, complete misfire, cancelled after 11 episodes. The influence, well, there hasn't been any. Do people no. do remember, people remember the helicopter because it's a gun and it looks like an Apache gunship and that's cool. Everything else is kind of done. So I actually gave it for this, I gave it a three. So yeah, that's what I gave what it. What about you? That's what oh, I gave okay. it. I mean, I'm not going to, so there's not much to add. I think you, you're, I mean, I'm, there's, there's nothing really, is there? I mean, no. the, all the influence and the reception of this comes from the film. The TV show is, is I mean, if you, I think if you ask most people, there was a TV show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, yeah, it's very true. Especially think, now. Yeah, you'd be like, was there? Yeah, I remember the film, Roy Scheider and stuff like that. And I think that the main problem with this is that it because it went off in a different tangent, in a different direction, in a different, you know, it's just a bad idea from the very outset. If you, the, the film is about one thing, it's supposed to be about one thing. If you go down a different thing, then the whole the whole purpose of Airwolf's powers, things it can do, are nefarious, and that that is yeah. that is what it's supposed to be about. If you take that away, then you've essentially just got a a boring, hyper powerful military. Yeah, ultra ultra powerful military thing that solves all problems. It's bulletproof. It's got a massive gun. It can film you from miles away. It can hear you from miles away. Well, well, if you've got that, then whatever. But there's there's no exploration of the fact of like, well, if that power is used for bad stuff and to control the society, and you know, worries about being, you know, being, you know, we have nowadays sort of thing. There's the whole thing about, you know. GCHQ and all those kind mm. of places in the you know in America, all your emails yeah. are checked and all this kind of stuff, and you know you've got off the grid yeah. and all. It's big all those kind of things, yeah, Big Brother and all that kind of thing. Those are you know those are science fiction themes that this program just completely jettisons. Yep, in yeah. favor yeah. of James Farantino's shit one-liners, <laughs> and they are shit. <laughs> yeah, they're awful, and also as well, um, what's his face? Um, I mean, and it, it pales in comparison to films. You know, Sandy McPeak plays Captain Braddock. Okay, it's fine. But he's up against Warren Oates, you yeah. know, in the film. And Warren Oates, um, he's, he's brilliant in the film. He's just great. But he's, yeah. he's, he's, a, he's a, you know, angry, cliched captain. But because yeah. he's Warren Oates, he, he, he pulls the part off. Here yeah. it just is a typical, you know, nothing nothing works in this. It's not very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I watched it and I was like, this is just stupid and terrible. And it's because it just ripped everything that was supposed to be Blue Thunder out of Blue Thunder, apart from the yeah. helicopter. Um, so yeah, I'm glad I it had no influence. Agree. <laughs> Damn you and your influence. Gone. <laughs> yeah. So in, in fact, I might even lower my score to a two. Pick a will. I'm going to give it a two. Okay, yeah. Well, you can think do what shit. you like. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. No, that's fair. Okay. Well, Airwolf then. Airwolf is a different kettle of fish, really, isn't it? Because Airwolf's not yeah. a, not about those themes. It's not about that. So it's influence yeah. and reception sort of thing go in a different direction. Because I think you can talk, you can always talk more about something when it's it, it, it completely fails. Because yes. I don't think Airwolf came along and was. Well, I, I don't think Airwolf was ever supposed to be a. The, the film Blue Thunder is supposed to be a, a comment on like war games is John and, yeah. and, to, and to a degree Short Circuit, three John Badham films of the mid eighties. They're all about the you know the creation of technology and can we control it and how is it being used for you know 
for different reasons sort of thing. Short Circuit was supposed to be a, wasn't it a war robot. Um, yeah, yeah, it was originally, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, war games is the whole notion if we if we give all the control to sort of computers. Those themes are sort of explored in John Badham's films in the 80s. Those three films, are, he obviously wanted to explore those themes. But when yeah. you take that out, you can talk about that and you can talk about that. Airwolf, I don't actually know. Airwolf is just a cool, from what I saw of it, it it's just a cool TV show of the 80s. Yeah, I'm not sure it's absolutely. supposed to be supposed to be about much more. I mean, you could look at the sort of thing that it's about, these sort of international intrigues and stuff like that that go through it. And it does seem, the thing is with Airwolf is it seems that the first season of Airwolf is regarded pretty positively. It's only 12 mm. episodes as well. But those 12 episodes, right. from what I read around, were most people like going, it was actually quite interesting. It was doing stuff that was off the off the sort of beaten path. Most TV shows around the time were very uh, American TV shows, were based very much around American cities and solving stuff. Obviously, Knight Rider yeah. was driving around and stuff, but it was very much in America doing stuff. This kind of went out into a, you know international yeah. themes, um, and despite this opener being a tad on the dull side, it and I think it you know it was trying to do something at least do something different. Um, and a lot of so a lot of modern reviews seem to pick up on that, and uh, and I've seen sort of comments, and and I can see this as well. A lot of praise is given to a lot of praise is actually given to Vincent's portrayal of that tortured hero, um, mm-hmm. and and I think that's quite unusual for. Our, I mean, if you compare Jean Michel Vincent's to Michael Knight, probably Michael Knight's got more reason to be a bit annoyed and tortured, but he's got a completely different face, and he doesn't know who he is, and he was nearly shot in the head. That's reasons yeah. to be angry, but it, it, after that night one, he's just he's just poking around, isn't he? Sort of thing. Michael Knight, Jean Michel Vincent is a constantly a morose, even up to the rest of the episodes, but especially in yeah. this one, you know, he got the death of his parents, the death of the love of his life, his brother getting lost in Vietnam. You know, this led to his hermit-like existence because I, I read sort of thing. He thinks he's cursed, so he just wants to okay. live away from. This wants to live away from everything. That's quite an interesting setting yeah so that yeah you know and i think that's been noted like as a precursor to what we saw in like um tim burton's batman and yeah, sort of yeah, and, okay. anti and, and the anti-heroes we kind of get because i'm thinking i'm trying to think of tv shows with anti-heroes for that time not i mean he's not an anti-hero but he's not your happy-go-lucky typical no, cocksure he's not james farantino he's like hey hey i've got my crap catch line i'll, I'll do what i like yeah, but you know, Stringfellow Hawk is a is a person that barely talks, and when he does, he's just, just to tortured. correct people for, yeah. for whatever. Yeah. So I think there's something interesting in that, and I think that obviously probably fed down the line. But I think as seasons two and three came along, and this is noted sort of thing that the studio thought people saying this is quite dark, and we want more sort of American stuff, so it changed tone to a more mm. American focused hijinks yeah. and action stuff. And it turns it out very, people, very into America, yeah. Yeah, and then people didn't like that, and it was cancelled after season three. Yeah. And even yeah, Donald Belisario didn't like it as well, and he buggered off after season two. Yeah, he left. He did. Yeah. So you know, I think that that was a mistake, but it did what it is. And I'm not going to really mention season four because I don't think it's the same show. It just happens no, to have the same helicopter in it. Um, yeah. However, when you have a, I think that the main, you know, the main follow through from one of the things of this is it's theme tunes again we mentioned the theme tune i think the theme tune is yeah. you know people that's res- resonates with a lot of people um but it you know uh, and and there's always going to be a raft of nostalgic feelings towards the show everyone knows airwolf the tv show people know it's yeah. under the film but not the tv show as i said uh, but it yeah. goes beyond that and, and i think as a media piece if we're looking sort of thing for re- influences and reception and the way it sort of spiraled out um 
in the you know at the time there were multiple games on home computers there was yes, one there, there was a blue thunder game but it's nothing to do with the show much as the, nothing to do with either of them uh, but there were multiple uh, home versions of the uh, based on it so we reviewed the acid trip adventures of stringfellow hawk way back in episode 1 um, we did, yeah. to the past so that's when we looked at it there were versions released for the spectrum the amstrad and the atari 800 there was even a, there was a sequel that passed us by that was released in 1986. Um, there was an arcade game developed and released in 1987, and there was a Famicom port of this that was released in 1988. There's also another that was a 2D side shooter. There was also a 3D version of Airwolf, completely different game developed yeah. for the NES that was made by Beam Software. Good old Beam yeah, Software. Good, good old Beam um, for acclaim. I had looked at that and it didn't look good. <laughs> there you go. There were two books written at the time of syndication as well, entitled Airwolf and Trouble from Within, which sounds Ooh. like he'd had too much of uh, Santini's beef. Um, <laughs> but I'm not Maybe sure. Maybe too much of that. Uh, no. Um, and there was even a graphic novel called Airwolf Airstrikes, released in 2015. Oh, cool. So, you know, it's still going strong. I think Airwolf stuck around as an idea, A, because like the A-Team stuff like that, that theme tune. The theme tune, you can't, yeah. you know, it's iconic theme tune. And those... Tunes of the eighties stick; they just do. Yep. So, but also due to Jean Michel Vincent, Jean Michael Vincent, this was his last leading role because of his, uh, you know, his ongoing alcoholism. He, he did mm-hmm. other acting jobs after this, but I read that this was his last leading role that he had, um, and oh, it was yeah. his shame actually because he, he was quite interesting. He was doing, he did things like the mechanic, didn't he, with Charles Bronson? That's what I remember him he from. Um, yeah, yeah. And he was, you know, an interesting actor at the time that could have done more things, but obviously. Had a lot of torturedness, tortured inner mm. demons, I guess. Um, and he was different to a lot of the leading characters, a lot of leading men at the time. He had a bit different vibe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, although it traded in a lot of the same kind of idea as something like Knight Rider in and those kind of things, I think it's stories, at least that first series, that, that more international feel they to them. They are a lot better. They yeah, are. They're, they're more interesting. They're more, there's more to them. They feel a bit more modern. Yeah. Um, yes. um, so I think for these reasons, I think it's resonated more through and people remember it will fondly. Mm. Not, maybe not all the episodes, and I think you could probably watch some of them. You might get it, find it a bit dull, but that cool helicopter, that cool soundtrack, the fact that it tried to do something maybe a bit different, I, I gave this a seven. Oh, very good. Yeah, excellent. What, what about you? So, yeah, you know what? Um, I, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, you can't argue with the influence of Airwolf. It influences things in slightly different ways. So I, li- I also, it's portrayal of a of a character, as much as he is, you know, it's a bit wooden in the sense that he doesn't react a lot. Um, what he isn't doing is anything Rambo-y, so he's not going off in a full-up, full-blown Rambo mode, which is kind of what the guy in Blue Thunder does. You know, mm. Tone down Rambo, but he is going off and, you know, break, not listening to authority and going and doing his own thing. Stringfellow just goes and isolates himself from the world, as you say, and that's actually quite an interesting tone to strike. Um, and I think that's what makes his char- his character is intriguing. If you know, mysterious by being miserable, but he is intriguing, um, and that makes the TV show. It gives it an air of mystery, and mystery gives TV shows longevity. So, because Airwolf is a mysterious, futuristic helicopter, the missions that he gets sent on in that first first season are generally quite mysterious missions because they're going into the unknown. It's going to Russia. There's one that's, you know, they're all over the place. And there's lots of interesting things. Um, when it became more urban, when it became just about, you know, being in domestic territory, as it were, you, you're going to lose a bit of the air of mystery about that, um, mm-hmm. you know. And so so it loses its agency. So that, I think, does affect its reception at the time. But because it's got enough of the mystery in those first two seasons and enough Airwolf stuff doing, you know, stuff that helicopters, military helicopters don't or can't do. 
Um, so, you know, and that's an important factor of Airwolf is that it's doing things that these things, helicopters can't normally do. It flies faster. It could go up higher. There's two occasions when it goes up to the stratosphere, I think, like 78, 80,000 feet and stuff like that. It's doing things that the, the helicopters, you don't think they can do. So because it's doing that, it's, it adds that, you know, what, what can it do? What are the capabilities? And they say in the, in the TV show, we don't know what it's capable of. You know, it could be mm. capable of all sorts of things. So because of that, you're building in a future-proof nature to that show. And because of that, add to the, that theme tune, that futuristic synth-based theme tune. And we all know that synth music just took off. So as, because synth music then gathered, get, gathered ground, because the techniques and the instrument sounds were then utilized throughout the entirety of pop music for the next decade and beyond, the theme tune was always going to resonate. The theme tune for Blue Thunder and all those TV shows around that time date very quickly. Blue, but um, Airwolf's team hasn't dated because it's using the Lindrum and the Oberon mm. OBX and, and the OB8 and stuff like that. It's using those instruments that pop bands were using at the time. Well, people still like the 80s pop music and synth music from that time. So, mm-hmm. you know, Airwolf is going to sit in there. So it, its influence resonates through all of its um, its ability to sort of, it leveraged important things at the time without perhaps realizing their importance in terms of how that would be perceived later down the line. And of course, retroactively, well, it looks better. It sounds better. It's a more interesting show. You know, there's more of them as well. So if you're going to buy the DVD box set, you're going to get 50 odd episodes. Whereas with, you know, Blue Thunder, you're going to get a cozy 11. Um, <laughs> it just does, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a show that has that many episodes has more tangibility to it. Um, and it's the same reason why um, uh, things like Automan with its very short runs, you know, if you're buying the box set, you're buying it because you're really interested in Automan because you have a genuine interest. It's not because it's had an influence on you. It's because you've always kind of had an affinity to it or you've had a, what is that about? Whereas Blue Thunder, because it was never syndicated widely, because it never guided any ground, Airwolf got the drop on it. And I don't think it ever really got out of, you know, Blue Thunder never got out of Airwolf's shadow and, it, and Airwolf just carried on regardless. And yes, they made a mess of things in the end, as they always do. Yeah. Um, yeah. They always do. Now, this isn't, you know, every single episode of the pilots that we've had generally ends with, and the studio fucked it all up. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it seems yeah. to end that way. Yeah. Um, with Perhaps with, you know, even though, I was going to say, even with Space 1999, they managed it, didn't they? So yeah, so I don't know if we've had one yet. Well, they haven't, but, I gave the influence for Airwolf, I actually gave it a seven as well. Um, because I, I actually gave, I thought to myself, what personal influence did it have on me? Well, I think yeah, I can hold Airwolf accountable for my interest in synthesized music because I heard that's one of the, probably one of the first fully synthesized TV themes I ever heard, if not the first. Um, you know, and outside of some of the British stuff like Doctor Who and stuff that I didn't even know was synthesized, I was starting to become alert to the idea of synthesized music and it's something I'm very passionate about now. And so I think that's an early influence and, if, you know, that, that had that influence and it's probably, it won't just be me. There'd be loads of people that have that. And then of course you've got all the TV shows as well. And I remember the helicopters, you know, I remember it. I remember it because of that music. I remember the opening sequence because I remember the sequence. It's the same way I remember Knight Rider, strangely enough. I don't remember what a lot of Knight Rider episodes were about, but I remember the opening sequence of Knight Rider driving through the desert and that mm-hmm. voiceover and that music. And so in the same way, I remember the opening of Airwolf with that blueprint sort of zooming into the blueprint and the Airwolf writing coming down. You can't forget those things when because they imprint themselves heavily in you as a kid. So seven, uh, sorry, um, seven. I've put for the influence of that, um, and should, should perhaps um, I could have gone to an eight, but I'll keep it at seven because at the end of the day, you know, it did cock up towards the end. <laughs> it did <laughs> two seasons, and then the cock up began, and then yeah. it all went wrong. And then the a reboot never works. Do they not learn from Battlestar Galactica eighty? No, no, no. So we've come to the end of our, you know, walk through the story and the, all the other car- the categories and the things we've looked at. We've scored, 
you know, we've given them scores for those things and we've got totals. We have totals for those things. So we tot up our totals and this is how we figure out, you know, who's going to win Battle of the Pilots. And I'm afraid to say, well, I'm not afraid to say it, we've got a very clear winner, very clear mm. winner. So Blue Thunder stumbled into the view, blew up a village and then kind of just you know, hovered around for a bit and then buggered off um, <laughs> with a 39 points in total from us both. Yeah. Um, whereas Airwolf screamed into view with a... Fired all of its missiles at a jeep, saved somebody from di- drowning, and uh, sorry, saved somebody from drying up in the desert. Well, maybe didn't save everybody. Maybe didn't. Um, but, no. but zoomed in, zoomed in with sixty-eight. So pretty we've, good. We've scored it slightly differently to how we've done the last one, don't we? Because I think we came to a came to a middle ground the last one, so so it's slightly different. But whichever way, even if we had to come to conclusions of the same, Airwolf battered Blue Thunder. <laughs> it just you know, yeah. Yeah, and there's no argument. And pretty much, with the exception of maybe a couple of categories where they hovered around, because they're both about helicopters, cool helicopters. Yeah, vehicle vehicle element. But other yeah. than that, the music came and then, just, you know, first of all, the music kicked it in the balls, then the cinematography gave it a headbutt, and then reception influence did a dump <laughs> yeah. on its face, and that was the end of that. Yeah, the, but the only, I mean, the only the only category it scored well in was the vehicles one, and that's because the vehicle is from a film. <laughs> The vehicle true, is the thing that's true. nothing to, came is not part of the TV show that was created. It's they've Absolutely. taken they've taken the only good thing, put it into a piece of crap, and and so obviously it would score well there. But whereas Airwolf exactly. created something interesting. Absolutely. So you know, happy days for Airwolf. Tough look for Blue Thunder there. And if you're a Blue Thunder fan. Go and watch the film. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because I, I watched the film today, and I think it trails. I think it it loses its way towards the end when it becomes more of an action film. It's more interesting yeah. when it's a bit more subterfuge and yeah, yeah, sort of conspiracy theory sort of stuff. But when it becomes an action film, it loses its way a bit. But it's still it's still a decent watch even today. I think absolutely. So congratulations, Stringfellow Hawk. I hope that the eagle enjoys your cello concerto that you're about <laughs> to be playing giddily now. After that. Um, and that leaves us really to sign off, doesn't it? You know, we've kind of done that. As, as we say with all of these things, you don't just have to take our word for it. You can track these things down. Go and view Airwolf. Go and watch the pilots yourselves. Go and watch Blue Thunder. See which one you think is better. I know which one I think is better. I know which one Adrian thinks better. We we can watch these things so you don't have to watch them. I might go and advise that you've gone and watch Airwolf out of those two, just, you know, just for the sake of it. And watch yeah. the movie of Blue Thunder if you're going to do that. Don't do that. But until then, until we meet again on another another Battle of the Pilots, whenever we do them, remember we do these as a, you know, we side chain these in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we do these, you know, here and there. They're not our main thing. Um, obviously, we've got our main podcast, which is Zap to the Past. Um, and you can mm-hmm. go and join our Patreon for that as well. You know, which would be shameless, pl- shamelessly plug our Patreon for Zap to the Past. But, you know, there is a Patreon there. It's Patreon slash Zap to the Past, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Patreon.com forward slash Zap to the Past. Exactly. So you can find that. You can Google all of those things as well. We've got a website, Zap to the We don't have a website for Battle of the Pilots because we put these onto our standard Zap to the Past podcast feeds as well because yeah, it's all yeah, part yeah. of the fun. But we do, you know, we do have an amazing bunch of patrons who regularly contribute to all of that through our Discord, which you get access to if you pay for the Patreon. It's a top tier price of what the price of a sandwich gets you all sorts of funky stuff so you can go and do all of that and do enjoy that you can even buy us a coffee but ko-fi.com is it forward slash zap the past or whatever it is is. indeed yeah go and do those wonderful things we do have a zap to the past shop at zap to the past dot shop you can browse through there and get yourself a mug if you like there's no battle of the pilots merch on there though so I'll zap the past stuff. So, you know, you'd have to just hope with that. But there is... Maybe, maybe we should get there. around to doing some Battle of the Pilots merch. Well, I think I think, I think we should, you know. What, what, we will. In fact, we'll There's do the that. images. I'll make done. a point of doing that. Yeah, doing. we'll make a, point of, make a point of doing those and getting them some of those on T-shirts and things you know, for people that like that kind of thing. But until mm. we do those things and until we speak again, I have been Graham Raddings. And I have been Adrian Mills. And you have been listening to Battle of the Pilots, Episode 5. See you again. 
Thank you kindly for listening to the Battle of the Pilots podcast brought to you by the team behind Zap to the Past. We sincerely hope you enjoyed this feisty look and comedic dive, indeed an out-and-out dust-up, between two classic pilot episodes that have graced our TV screens from over the last 50 years. We will, of course, return with another exciting and no doubt challenging episode. Until then, you can download this podcast and others from the zaptothepast.com website, as well as listen on all good podcasting apps such as Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, you know, those kind of things. The Battle of the Pilots podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. And please do remember, all opinions expressed throughout the podcast are those of the writers. Now, go and watch something new on TV. You never know. It could be the start of something brilliant. 